Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dead City Drive-In, the only podcast that cast a love spell on itself and ended up with herpes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Brandon Windish. And I'm Chris Holcomb. And we are the heads of programming in this here Dead City. And in this episode, decreed by the higher-ups, the drive-in gods, we have been tasked once again to program a specially themed double bill for the ravenous hordes of mutants and madmen outside our projection room door. But Chris, we can't do it alone, so we've got a special guest programmer to help us out. Welcome to the drive-in, Miss Katie Castingway! Hi, Katie. Hey. Okay. Hi. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. You're oh, so happy to have happy you. Happy to have you. This is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, uh, you know, I want to... Actually, I have a question for you, but you know what? Before we get into it, can we just get, just get this off the table? Can we do a little bit of business let's real get, quick? Let's do Okay, just make sure we wash our hands once we're done, okay? Yeah, okay. All so, right. guys, uh, uh, if, if, if you listen to the show, you know it would be awesome if you just did us a quick little favor. And uh, if you're enjoying the show, go on uh, Apple Podcasts and rate and review. Um, that would be cool. We want to continue our ability to transform and take over the world. That was my Transformers impression. Autobots roll out. Jesus. Okay, so, oh, the other thing is, we have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash deadcitydrivein, and it's actually pretty fun over there. There are three different tiers you could join if you're enjoying the show. Look, if you're new to the show, you can just listen as it is. And we love you, and thank you for being here and listening. But if you want to give a little extra, you can get all sorts of fun stuff. We've got bonus episodes, watch-along commentaries that you get to choose, uh, uh, all sorts of just fun little magic tinkeroos. Yeah, some behind-the-scenes stuff. We've got some extraneous episodes. We, we've got our Trivial Pursuit episode up there. So if you are a Dead City denizen... Through our Patreon, you can enjoy all these little added extras. You guys get almost a whole nother season of content. Yeah, ten whole, full, long, huge, donged episodes. <laughs> and also, Schwenky. if you subscribe on uh, uh, a Madman level, you get uh, a little... Uh, no, no, that's not true. Everybody who uh, subscribes gets a shout-out on the show. Yes. So, thank you guys so much, and uh, that's it for the business. Oh, and by the way, if you you know, you know can find us anywhere. Dead City Drive-In. Uh, on Instagram, you can write to us at deadcitydrive at gmail dot com. That's it. We're done. Okay, cool. Okay. Can we get into like the good stuff now? Katie, I have a question for you. This is the most important question you'll probably ever hear in your life. I don't know if I'm ready. Okay, brace I'll yourself. Try. Brace yourself. Brace. Okay, I'm holding on. Um, what is your first experience? What are some of your earliest experiences with genre films? Oh, that is a great question. Um, I stole it from another podcast. Oh, Thank you, you thief. though. Yeah. But <laughs> talent but borrows, I genius it. steals. You know what? It's still a great question and, and one that should be asked to all. Um, I used to, when I couldn't sleep at night, because uh, I'm definitely a night owl performer. Hoot, hoot. Uh, hoot, hoot. And uh, I would see my dad watching late night horror films 
the um, Paul Bear thing, yes. the Tales from the Crypt. And so um, I come from the darker side of uh, film in that way of my dad would be up and he would uh, likely have a bottle of bourbon right there on the table and uh, a fried egg sandwich next to to him on the coffee table watching some B-horror film. Oh my God. Bourbon, fried eggs, horror movies, two in the morning. I'm having a core memory right now (laughs) with this question. I may have to try that. That sounds good. Um, but when I couldn't sleep or, I, or I'd wake up in the middle of the night and he would be up watching some horror film, that's how I watched all the Freddies, the Chuckies, all of those. And so I really would say that's probably my introduction to genre film is horror. Yeah. And very late night in the early hours of the morning, my dad drinking bourbon and eating, and I was eating a fried sandwich. He would make me one. Now, so you were allowed, you partook, you were... This wasn't like you were hiding on the stairs and watching the tiny television. You, He was like, you come on down and watch with me. Um, sometimes. Sometimes. Every now and then I'd, I would just peek because I knew I was supposed to be in bed and sleeping. But if, if I really couldn't sleep and I just crawled up with him on the couch, he wouldn't reject it. He'd just let me. Oh. <laughs> now, was there one uh, movie either that like was too intense for you or that left an indelible impression on your life? Or at least like I, created a very, very fond memory for you. Um, I would say fond memory because I love all of those. Uh, Freak Show was that was the first time my introduction to Freak Show. Um, but Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah, two, yeah, two, definitely, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street two, yeah, was the one he was watching. Wow, wow, okay, that's cool. (laughs) But yeah, that was the one he was watching, and and I just remember sitting with him and and getting to curl up and like so again fond memory, but also (laughs) like. Left an imprint in my brain. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, it's, you know, I don't want to say it scarred you, but you know, it definitely it's, made an it's impression. There. Yeah. Now I heard some kind of weird story. I I didn't hear the story, but I just heard somebody mention a title of a movie that maybe had some kind of effect on you as well. I'm just going to throw out the title, mm-hmm. okay? And you just tell me if there. this is a. If I'll, this I'll is try a thing. to catch it. The title of the movie is Frankenhooker. Yes. Yeah? Is yes. there a story with this? There is a story okay. with this. let's hear it. Okay, so Frankenhooker uh, has definitely left imp- an imprint mm-hmm. on my life. Um, my, I was turning 13, and my birthday is in September, so hurricane season. And it was supposed to be a, you know, co-ed cool, par- uh, cool party, pool party, and uh, there was a hurricane at that time. I don't remember the name of the hurricane, but it definitely canceled my party, and only the hardcore parents, who were Florida parents, were like, yeah, let's leave the kids over there. It's fine. And uh, instead of going in the pool like we were supposed to, my mom was like, let me just rent a bunch of movies. We'll get a pizza and popcorn and all of that. And uh, we'll chill and we'll watch the movies in the living room. Great. We'll make pillow forts. It'll be, you know, fun 13-year-old yes. party banter. Yes. Yeah. So she uh, went to the movie store and uh, the only movie, I think she rented three movies, but the only movie that I remember, and it was the first one she put on was... A Frankenhooker. <laughs> Whoa, I'm just trying to figure... Okay, because the the VHS of that movie is infamous. It's a, yes. it's a uh, you know, 3D... Uh, it's... Uh, what is that? It's Patty... Um... Patty Arbuckle. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, my gosh. See, I mean, I'm totally like brain no, but it's Patty, Patty Mullen. Patty Mullen on the front, but it's, you know, she's <clears throat> in 3D. She's stepping like, up out of the, up the stairs yes. from the subway. Yeah, in front of Times Square. You, you, it's a three-dimensional box, and when you pressed the uh, street light button, it would say, Want a date? Want a date? It, uh, yes, the yeah. audio came out of the thing. It was like, it's still one of the most coveted 
you know, yeah, with collector the, with items. The purple wig and like, you know, the mismatched, you know, flesh tones from where she's been sewed back together. So and aside the, from the, the platform shoes. Yes. That were so aside from the image of that, the fact that the title is called Frankenhooker and your mom was like, this is for my 13 year old daughter. Yep. She just remembered it was funny. That's li- that is literally the quote that comes from her when I bring it up today. I thought it was funny. Is, I thought it was just a funny movie. And granted, when we started watching the movies, there was only one boy left at the party. <laughs> and he was like my childhood crush. It was always like the puppy love thing. Yeah. And he was the one there. And I was like, oh, my God, they'll never let him back at my house. And I try to fast forward through all the sex parts. And like <laughs> and of course, the the infamous crack. <laughs> yeah, Exploding, yeah. exploding and the legs falling flying across the room and and all that like i mean what a core memory right oh, guys yeah. <laughs> but trying to fast forward and he's like no no no, don't fast forward don't fast forward <laughs> and my my best friend rachel to this day she was like no no no, keep it going keep it going <laughs> it was yeah it was well didn't you my have like memorable. a girls night at my house where you were hanging out with everybody and you guys watched it or something Actually, I think we watched Wet Hot American Summer with the fart tracks. Although that might have just been me. (laughs) I just remember that, like you know, it was ladies' night at my house, so I went ahead and went to bed early and everything. And next thing I know, all the women that are in the house are like the foot of the bed, going, "Hey, Chris, hey, we're having fun." I'm like, "Ah." That's what you did. You didn't invite everyone into the bed. Especially no, after mean, we were watching Frank and Yeah. Come well, on. Everybody was, yeah, they're doing, they're listening to the fart commentaries. That's, that's yeah. like the, like, yeah, number one. You have to understand this particular collection of ladies. It would have been like, I, I would have been like Dabney Coleman in nine to five, where they would have like strapped me up to the roof, you know, hanging there in my underwear. We would have done witchcraft. Yeah, they would have exactly. pulled you out of the car and kicked you to death. <laughs> pulled you out of the and bed. farted on your face. <laughs> farted on your face. That sounds more likely. Yeah, that's a great uh, uh, slumber party memory. I had one very similar. It was like my tenth or so party, and my parents rented RoboCop, and oh. I was dev- it, it, I was in another world with that movie because it was so hyper violent that I was just like, Whoa. it is. It broke my mind. I remember just being like, I can't believe you guys don't let, won't let me watch Nightmare on Elm Street, but you let me watch this fucked up movie. They just shot that guy in the dick. <laughs> Funny story that you bring up RoboCop and I brought up uh, Nightmare on Elm Street too yeah. because I just recently watched RoboCop and I was like, I watched this as a child? No shit. That movie's... It is so hyper violent. Violent movies ever made. Yeah, so and if you watch the unrated cut, it's even more like. Oh, oh, God. I don't know if that was the unrated cut. Every, everybody talks about Bambi's now. mom getting killed being the traumatizing death is when they were kids. No, uh, did you guys see Peter Weller get his fucking hand shot off? Just completely shot off. Separated. Oh my god. Well, you know, it's. I love that you had a story. Like that. I love that Frankenhooker was a indelible memory in your mind. Um. I'm a little surprised you didn't pick Frankenhooker for your movie tonight, but you did pick another movie mm-hmm. uh, for our headline film that uh, features another very strong woman mm-hmm. and um, who is the I've star of the show. That. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but she's strong in a completely different way. I mean, you know, yeah. Frankenhooker and Patty Mullen's character, she's strong in that she could rip you to pieces. Yeah, uh, she doesn't and, want to. She just wants love. Yeah, yeah. Frankenhooker. She just wants to love. She wants a date. She wants a date. Want a date. Want a date. Want a date. And I think the want a party. Wo- and you know the woman in in uh, in your movie tonight wants love as well. She does. Katie, what movie have you brought to the Dead City Drive-In? I brought The Love Witch. 
after Jerry died, the cops wouldn't stop harassing me. They couldn't prove anything. They actually thought that I killed him. Anyways, San Francisco got to be a really bad trip after you left. And that's when I remembered you had that extra apartment. Hey, I'm Trish. Hi, Trish. Well, what do men want? Just a pretty woman to love and to take care of them. Love me. Love me. What I'm really interested in is love. You might say I'm addicted to love. You want to take a girl up there now? <laughs> You want some? What is it? I met this great-looking guy, and I used love magic on him. And then he got really weird on me. All these emotions started flowing out of him. And then he got really <clears throat> sick. <clears throat> what is it, Wayne? What is it, baby? What a pussy. What a baby. Wayne. Witchcraft is just a way of concentrating energy. You can only work with what's already there. I just use sex magic to create love magic. It's almost scary how strong the love gets. And sex magic, of course. Some stats, Katie. So, The Love Witch came out in 2016, so it is a contemporary movie, directed by Ann Biller, written by Ann Biller. Also, if you see the credits in the movie, she also did uh, costumes, props, uh, you name it. She's a one-woman show. She it really was. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. an, it's she the, edited. The Anna Biller special. It is. Yeah. And honestly, I'm quite proud of her <laughs> for that. Um, it stars Samantha Robinson, John Keyes, Laura uh, Waddle, and Jeffrey Vincent Paris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. We'll try that. All right. And the synopsis of this film. A modern-day witch uses spells and magic to get men to fall in love with her with deadly consequences. Now, there are some times where I will write the synopses myself, and then other times where I just pull them from... The Internet Movie Database. That's what I did here. I felt like all of our synopses for these movies are as bare bones as it gets. Um, but I think, I don't know, I feel like that kind of is somewhat it's accurate of the accurate, movie, right? Yeah, I, that's, I, that's pretty, yeah. It now, doesn't give too much away. Katie, tell me about The Love Witch, because when I found out that this was your choice, now I had never seen this movie. I I was aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was on the cover of like Rue Morgue or Fangoria yeah. like very recently, and I know it got a lot of... Uh, a lot of attention um, as an independent film, um, but I really didn't pay any attention to it. Like, I just, it was something that just kind of was off my radar. So, 
this was a first time view for me and um but but, you know so i was i was surprised by some of the stuff that's in the movie i I didn't i wasn't aware of exactly how it was presenting itself so talk to us a little bit about why you chose the love witch you to the love witch how did the love witch put you under her spell under under her spell um well funny story uh, my roommate and I, we it was around Halloween, I think, or it was in October, maybe even September. We start spooky season in July because officially <laughs> once it's her birthday, it's uh, also Halloween. You do July? Start, okay. Yeah, I, absolutely. I've gotten by with September. Like <laughs> I start in September and usually that's it gives okay. you two months to kind of get yeah. Kind of get, yeah. get Amped up. I yeah. mean, even at Christmas, I'll watch horror films. I don't well, care. Well, it fits in Christmas. Love- it's mm-hmm. ghosty stuff. It's spooky, cold, spooky. you know. It's very yeah. Victorian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we were actually looking specifically at a genre of, like, witch movies. And that's how I discovered The Love Witch, not even realizing it was actually 2016 that it was made, thinking as I was watching it that it was a retro film. And I was like, this is really cool. But then there are things in it that you realize – this is not a retro yeah, there's some film. Anachronisms. Anachronisms that are very broad. Very. One, of my, one of the best ones is like toward the end when out of nowhere a character pulls out a cell phone. Yeah. Like there, cell phone. there have been no phones other than like. Than that moment. The old school phones, if anything. <laughs> and then she pulls out a cell phone. You're like, whoa, okay. Hold on. Yeah. But even the bar like has some modern touches that at first I was like, I thought we were in the 60s. Hold on. And then the car is in the background. Yeah, there's some Honda Accords. <laughs> there's some Honda Accords. <laughs> Just, you know, I mean, budget. Yeah. Let's, we got to stick to budget. Now, do you know, I, I actually don't know, what, do you, anybody know what the budget on this movie was? Mm-hmm. I do not. I, I, it couldn't have been much. Let me see if I can track that down. But it um, had to have been some, because this movie, what, was this movie shot on film? Man, I oh, wish I had a done a little question. more research, yeah, no, honestly. It looks, to me, you know, I kind of wondered the same thing, you know. I think it was probably shot on video, and then they used probably some software to kind of give it a little more of a film patina. Yeah, I wish I knew. Um, anyway, you were talking it, about why you chose this movie, though. Well, and it Sorry, had Katie. me for quite a while. I thought it was a, a film from the 60s because of the style. But the costumes are incredible the um, and the coloring in it. Um, and plus, they're talking specifically about feminism. And and it starts from the get-go about how she's been hurt and she's on her own journey. And and so I'm thinking this film was totally from the 60s. Yet once you finally catch on to those modern nuances, you go, nope, this is actually a current day film. 35 mil. They shot on film. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's where all Incredible. the money had to have gone. Yeah. Now, yeah, you know, the, the thing for me that, that struck me the most about the movie is the style. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's first and foremost, it's a, uh, uh, you know, I think the director would argue with me, but I would say style over substance in a way. Um, I know that she obviously has a statement that she's making that I'm not I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure of what it is that she's saying uh, in the movie. Do you, can you clear? Do you, do you have any thoughts I, on that? Or I don't have a specific thought on it. I yeah. do. I do think feminism is part of it, but also like the love which she she just wants love she wants to be loved and she wants to be able to love yeah and she causes as as the the tagline puts it deadly consequences yeah it's pretty funny i mean like she i mean it's very snarky in a way because the whole time she's like every man just wants a a woman to to do this dumb shit you know like take care of him and to love him and and to be there for him and then when she gets that chance she's like 
he's a fucking pussy. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's literally like what she says immediately yeah. when she gets it. She goes, "I that's not what I asked the universe for. How dare you? Yeah, I mean, the idea. So I guess we'll talk, delve into a little bit about what happens in the movie. Because the movie is basically a sequence of it's it's of repetition. Like she goes out, she puts her spells out into the mm-hmm. universe. She uses she uh, actually describes magic as will. So she says, at your will, you will be able to accomplish these things that you desire. And of course, she desires love. And really, she desires sex and men. Yeah. And I mean, she says, and maybe I use a little sex magic. Yep, she does. And even in- Blood, sugar, sex, magic. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Not a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan? No, I'm not. I'm like, uh, that's one of those bands that- um, when I hear them, I'm repulsed instantly. It's, you know, it's like, I just kind of go, no, I can't. I can't. <laughs> flaccid, I flaccid. <laughs> I don't know what it is exactly about them that makes me insane, but. Uh, um, I, I have those bands, too. Yeah, I like what? Who do you have? Which oh, one? Oh, gosh. Um, I can't think off the top of my head right now. Dave which Matthews w- does that to me, too. Does <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dave Matthews. I always had a joke with my best friend. Dave Matthews was our makeout band, even though we never made out. <laughs> <laughs> like I will touch you to Dave Matthews. No, we never did. <laughs> sorry to disappoint the the listeners. Um, and Dave Matthews is like, Meh. I'm sorry, Dave Matthews. Um, so, all right, I, it, this is like, where do we start with the Love Witch? I think. Okay. Why don't we start with um? Well, why don't we start with Samantha Robinson as the lead? I love her as the lead, and I I honestly don't know off the top of my head what else she's in, and I'm interested to know because I would like to see her performance in other... She's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, her, and I have not seen that. probably the biggest thing that she's done since. She's um, one of... What, is she... I think... Is she one of the Manson girls? I think so, yeah, that she's... Interesting. Yeah. So, um, but that's really it. Spawn like, Ranch. Yeah, like most women um, her age... You know, there's not much work. Like it's it's not a, it's a tough road to hoe in Hollywood. Yeah. So like you can and this movie is almost in a way proof of it. Like you can I I noticed that she's done a lot of shorts. Okay. Since the movie, which is you know, um, it's a tough business. But <laughs> I absolutely adore her voice work in yeah. this movie. Um, she she does create a strong sensuality with her voice whenever she does narration. Yeah. And to me, that drives the film. It drives the narrative of the film because she she obviously does kind of fourth wall breaking, sort of speak with film in that she tells us what she, what's going on in her mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's and, you know, she's basically an unreliable narrator yes. because <laughs> she'll, you know, she'll say things like uh, uh, about her first husband um and who she's betrayed and who was betrayed and, and then we see uh, it does this like hard edit of him dead on the floor having been poisoned yep and she <laughs> so she did. he did something wrong and she didn't like it so she poisoned but him in her mind he left her he's the, yeah he left her and she's by herself and so she's going to start a new life and another one that gets me in in her voice work is when she's talking about the tampon so she's she's talking about what, the, how the tampon in the jar of piss the jar of piss yeah. a witch jar is yeah. what it's called um, um, it it has a name Chris. yeah a witch which bottle a witch bottle yeah. no well Come that's on. the thing she no the, okay the movie does some in your like <sighs> i don't i don't like to say in your face because that's 
a very male perspective when I say catching? that. catching? Well, but the thing, the thing is, is there's a actually it's a shot. There's a maybe, but there's a it's a great point. There's a scene in the movie where she uh, takes a, a tampon, mm-hmm. puts it into. Well, we see her urinate into a jar. Mm-hmm. Uh, she takes a tampon, places Man, it, places it into the jar of urine amongst a few other things and puts it on her dead lover's grave. Mm-hmm. But she has a line in there where she says, um, most men have, uh, what have like, never, like nine most out men of ten have, men or have never seen a used tampon yeah. and they're disgusted by it. Yeah. But it's it's natural and, for a woman to bleed. And it's funny because, and then they use the tampon as like a shock, but it's, who who is that a shock to? Like, it's got to only be a shock to men, right? Because right. like- Women have seen that thousands see, of times. Right, like how can, so what you see, you're like, oh, okay- and that's why I say a statement on feminism. Yeah. Is she saying, oh, men have never seen this. Yeah. So. Well, it's like a dry statement because it's, she's acting like a woman from another time period. She's acting like the beleaguered, like, housewife who just kind of stays at home. And, and this is where I get confused in the message because I'm like. Well, she acts like the victim. Yeah. In a lot of ways. But, Yeah. But that's not actually what's happening because she has all this power and she's able to physically and and mentally torture men. Yeah. And she does. And she does. You know, with reckless abandon. Yep. Um, and it gets her in trouble with, uh, you know, with, with, the, the, law. with the law and her <laughs> friends. Yep. Um, and yeah, I mean. And other witches. Does it? Do other because she's oh well she's well, a part of a of a she is part of of the coven, uh, the coven that yeah. is it, and and here's here's also where it it kind of disturbed me a little bit is in in the beginning she talks about the people who trained her to be a witch and how she became a witch because she was betrayed by men and now she knows how to control men but then when she gets in with the coven it's very patriarchy message right? yeah I mean she, she, she talks I, about I the patriarchy runs the actually. coven she was assaulted yeah. during her becoming a witch yeah and, yeah and and she's very angry about that she does not like that man who, yeah who who, runs who is pretty funny that that yeah. actor as the uh, the hippy dippy you know ringleader of the coven. But he's like, I just want to have sex with several women. I don't care. <laughs> oh, he's like, well, I don't know. He just shows up at nightclubs. He's like, he does. Well, it's kind of like this like this very light kind of Anton Zandor Levey sort of Church of Satan. Yes, thing, but yeah, yeah, like Anton Lefay. Lefay. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you have your pinkies up when you say that, too. So, I did. I did, too. Mm-hmm. That's all I drink. Um, I just drink that naturally. So Samantha Robinson's performance is, you know, channeled from another era. It definitely is. And I I kind of wish she would make more yeah. like that because I, I think she's very fitting for well, that to see era. what else she can do because I mean for that type of film though there's it's very very stylized acting that they're that they're utilizing here it is and I think there were you know some she got quite a few compliments and stuff about her acting performance and kind of maintaining this stylized can I posit something sure I, I'm, I'm just throwing this out there <clears throat> now there's a a camp of of storytellers of filmmakers that use stylization or stylized, the word stylized, to hide, hide behind stilted. Do you guys feel that her performance is stilted in any way? 
I love that you brought that up because there are times when watching that film that I felt like I'm I'm in acting film school, acting for film. And yeah. and and even acting class. Like there are moments in that film that brought me back to learning in college yeah. about acting for film or stage. And there are some scenes that I'm like, "Oh, this is this is one of those times that you do a scene for a class, like for a grade, and you're learning. Yeah, you could have done another, let's do another take, guys. Let's do another take. Yeah. And, but at the same time, I was fully enraptured by it because it felt that way, which I know is a, a strange thing well, to subscribe to. It's but... a very presentational acting style that yes. I think that she's incorporating. I think where some of maybe the distortion or you know discordance comes from is the fact that not every one of the actors in this movie is on the same page with the style that they're presenting. I think the lead performer definitely has it. There are a few other, you can kind of tell, they're older actors, they're more seasoned and everything. Yeah. But there are a lot of people that that, um, that Samantha Robinson is in scenes with that don't necessarily have the same chops. Yeah. Chops or understanding of the narrative. Yeah. Maybe. That was, that was the other thing I got. Well, yeah, an interesting okay. thing that I came across when I was looking at some stuff about this film was, is that Anna Biller, the director and writer and editor and, you know, costume designer, like the, the, the woman the, of many talents. The woman of the film. <clears throat> yeah. Um, she's gone on record saying that there were lots of members of her crew that were kind of sandbagging and sabotaging the project a little bit she says that they didn't believe in the material they thought that uh all of the stylistic choices that she was making were incredibly hokey and that they were doing things that really kind of brought days of production almost to a grinding halt welcome to directing yes yeah <laughs> your, say, your crew is never going to be on board 100 yeah. so that's like but, the one you know, thing she you would don't want to that like when they were going out and doing some of the location shoots and everything and they, they you know they shot a lot of this in northern california um and that they were in parks and everything and that her location manager kind of came up and says i'm sorry we got to shut down for the day and she's like, why? He says, well, I don't have the proper permit and everything. And there happened to be a park ranger that was right there with the director. He said, oh, we can we can fix that for you, no problem. And the location manager got royally pissed about the whole thing and started like ranting mm. and raving. So I guess maybe he just wanted to go home for the day. And... Was the location manager Judge Reinhold? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Sorry, that Ooh. means nothing to anybody listening. Yes. Um, well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's weird because I don't know. I I'm I'm torn with the performance stuff uh, because there's a part of me, the cynical part of me, who watches independent film go. I I a part of me feels that like the reason Samantha Robinson was cast was a lot less to do with her skill as as a performer and more to do with the fact that she looks exactly like uh 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 Finish. Yes, thank you, Chris. Yeah. You know, she looks very. I mean, she's a spitting image for that actress. This nineteen seventy, well, late sixties, early seventies, Italian or uh, is she French? No, actually, I think she was Italian. Yeah, yeah. Um, giallo actress who, like, I mean, they're spitting him. They look like identical women, and a part of me thinks that like that has a big play on it. The fact that she's not a bad actress doesn't take away from the movie. I just, it's like. I'm hyper analyzing like when and, I'm watching I'm like huh and I don't believe that she's a bad actress sure. actually I think a lot of it was specifically genre chosen and yeah. I, I or... agree with you too oh yeah and you can watch those movies and see 
those I, kinds of performances from the era that they're channeling. So yes, and that's that's how I felt exactly, and and just the the visuals of like even her makeup to her costumes, like Ann Biller being the lady of the film, doing all of the jobs involved. Yeah knew exactly what the vision was and I feel like in in a direction standpoint that's what that's exactly what she was going with with um Samantha Robinson. Yeah. For sure. Um that said, the guy that plays um uh the first person that she poisons, the one that gets sick, the the her her husband, no, the professor, no, no, no the, the oh, yeah the, the guy professor. that she meets in the park. She makes him so sick with her spell that she does in her rented apartment. Yeah, yep. That guy's performance is pretty funny. Like it's, it's hilarious. He's, he is committed to the what, the scene where he's just screaming for her to come back in. It's. I mean, it's, it's pretty it's funny. It, well, the whole movie's funny, you know? Like, it's got that, like... I mean, it's a comedy. Like, yeah. it's it's straight-up comedy. Um, but his... <laughs> his, like, close-ups of uh, just, like, manic yes. uh, passion, like, driven insane for this I woman. I love you. I'm in love with you. It's pretty funny. I've never felt this way about any woman. <laughs> and she's like, what a fucking pussy <laughs> is literally what she says in the film. What a fucking pussy and i love that they they will break every once in a while from those because that's an anachronism right like no nobody in the 60s would call anybody a fucking pussy in a movie so i love that it kind of will throw that in there to just throw you off a little bit and go like oh but that's exactly what i thought the very first time i watched that film was that's not something they would say yeah but i love the observation now you know have you ever have you ever been in a relationship with a, I mean that, with a that, fucking pussy? That dude's a stage five <laughs> clinger. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever been in a relationship with a man who uh, or woman? I don't know who <laughs> has done who has been that obsessive that quick. Who's just glommed on? I've definitely been on a date. I wouldn't say a relationship, okay. but a date where I went, yeah, this is stage five clinger. We're going to exit quickly. Exit stage left. Exit stage left by bear quickly. I am dead. <laughs> I am executed. I do not bear. exist. As you're exiting, you kind of cross and whisper in the bear's ear before he makes his entrance. Go eat Get that motherfucker. Get rid of him now. <laughs> and make it hurt. He doesn't look like a picnic basket, though. <laughs> what? Well, it's a Yogi Bear shout Yogi out. Bear um, shout out. I'm going to eat your intestines while you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cody, is that a cocaine bear reference? No, actually, it's more of a, what is it? Uh, Jurassic Park. It, no, uh, oh, God, what's the one with the movie with the Miller Hirsch that was based off of the John Krakauer book? The what? With the uh, who? The what? I couldn't hear you over your... You're strumming uh, on the desk. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the Emil Hirsch movie that was based off of the John Krakauer book. The Revenant? No, not. I was going to say in that's thin the air, but bear that's, that's the oh, that's the Everest one. This is the one about the guy Chris, what's his name, that goes up to Alaska, and then winds up, you know, eating a bunch of poison shit and stuff. But I there's don't know. there's lots of stories. I'm sorry, Chris, I Chris is in another world right now. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, oh no, it's a it's a it's a um, Werner Herzog movie. Oh, Grizzly Man. Yeah, 
that guy that got eaten by the bear. Oh, that's a fucked up. Yeah. Boy, that story. He's been showing up a lot in my life, by the way. Totally. Yes, he totally has. You know, he has he has a cameo in Parks and Rec. Do you know this? Do you know this? I just learned this. He is one of my favorite directors because he's so wild and out there. And Mm. in fact, in college, I had to do a a journal entry about who my favorite directors were. And I was like, Mel Brooks and Werner Herzog. And I was like, because he's so fucking out there. Yeah, he is. We had a guest, Nigel uh, Sykes, who does a great Werner Herzog impression. Um, I would love to hear it. To see the baby. I would like to see the baby. Have you ever seen Katie the interview where he gets shot in the middle of the interview? No. I have to see this. He's on a roof. They're doing an interview. He gets shot from somebody somebody on the ground, like shoots up, shoots him. He's like, I've been shot. <laughs> I've been shot. And the, the interviewer's like, oh my God, uh, we need rolling, to call. And he's like, no, 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 no. We keep going. It's, he's like, he's love, like Teddy Roosevelt. But, man. but that's what Teddy I Roosevelt's love. Is a speech he's, and gets shot he, and just I'm keeps sorry, on going. Uh, I will forever say he's a badass. That's, mm-hmm. that's just it. He just is. Um, but I did. I wrote. I wrote a whole journal entry about how he, how he ate a shoe. Yeah, yes. it's a great documentary. Yeah, and that's what I had watched, and I was like, you know what? He's one of my favorites. Um, did you ever see uh, uh, Jack Incident, Reacher? No, Incident at Loch Ness. No. I have heard of this. Yeah, I need to watch. Oh, it. Oh, you should see it. It's a really wild, like mockumentary, like mm-hmm. uh, that. Um, Zach Penn, who was like. <laughs> One of the writers on X Men Three. Yeah, the screenwriter. Yeah, he's actually but, a really talented writer. Um, but it's about him and Werner Herzog going to uh, Loch Ness. And but am I wrong in saying that Werner Herzog was the inventor of the mockumentary? No, you're not. That's why no. he's so, per- no. That's why he's perfect in this movie, and that's why I fell in love with him as a director. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. My uh, best fiend. We're starting a new uh, podcast called uh, Here Now, Werner. <laughs> <laughs> And it's starting right here. You did, tricked you too. It's actually called it. Stepped on a Nail and It Hurts Us. <laughs> Listeners, you didn't know, but Katie Castingway was here to invent. There you go. <laughs> to create. Well, you're going to be the, the co-host, right? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay, so let's get back to the love witch. The love witch. Um, th- I think the next thing we should talk about here is, the, to me, the real standout of the film. Uh, and that is, in my opinion, it's the the design. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, actually, right before we start or before we rolled on the show tonight, Chris and I were talking about. I was like, the art direction is the star of this, but it's also it's less even the art direction. That's okay. It's less the art direction, and um, I couldn't get fully that, was that, me. that good. Was not the bourbon. What I was doing our episode. Uh. It's less about the art direction and more about the set decoration, um, which is, you know, I guess one of the same. But um, I read that uh, Anna Biller basically collected all of the props and costumes over several years to, you know, accumulate enough of this mid-century modern furniture. My favorite, which is his bag, man. Brandon loves these mid-century modern. Yeah, my favorite. That's my favorite part of the film is every shot in the movie. The in the the mise en scene of the film are like the best looking mid mod furniture and decor that you could get, and it made me envious. I was like, "Fuck, you know how much money that shit costs now? Like, can I have it? <laughs> can I, I, have I can that have stuff? it." <laughs> but I loved seeing. I loved the 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 aesthetic. It was so clearly um, uh, 
not just cultivated but uh, and, and procured, but presented, that it made me... That was my the thing that I, I found myself when I would kind of check out. Because the movie's let's be honest, it's a little long. It, it is. It's and, longer yeah, than it two needs hours, to be. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so there are times where I would go, I would kind of just be zoning out watching it, but I would kind of glom onto those colors and some of that furniture, the shapes of some of these lamps. You know, I'm I like, love particularly Damn. when she's renting the apartment and she meets this woman who she's never met and they have like life discussions, which is very fascinating mm-hmm. and very quickly. They don't know each other. They've just met and they're having these life discussions. And Do you want to get some tea? Do you want to get some tea at the Victorian room that's only for ladies? And I love that room. I love, I love yeah. the room and I, I and love the that when she... hat that she wears. The, well, I, and I asked my roommate what re-watching that film and I said, do you think that was packed in her suitcase or did they rent them at the door for the ladies? Because <laughs> that is a very particular hat yeah. that she wears and even people that I've seen like cosplay as the love witch have <laughs> Have had that hat. I'm like, where, where, where do you get that hat? Um, what's the place in Ebor? Oh, La France. <laughs> yeah, La France. That's, That's, there you go. She rented it from Ebor. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that, that tracks. Well, you know what's funny about that scene in particular is what well, I noticed that they do. You know, it's a, it's a, it's two people at a table having a conversation, and they film it very. Um, the movie is is stylish in its cinematography, uh, but the scene. It, it, the camera is never really doing anything crazy. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of there. It's framed well. It's it looks right. It's composed right. But it's just a simple, you know, back and forth. Back and forth between them talking. There's a moment, however, where and and you see the stuff in the background on one side of the room. You can see that they have spent a lot of time and energy into putting background extras in there in specific costumes. The curtains are a certain thing. It's all there. The lighting. The can, lighting. Can we talk about the harp? We can. The, and the and, harp player and, 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 and the specific song. And that's that what happens? they do. So that's where it is. So they it cuts to them looking over at her, the harp player. And she has a solo. And she has a solo, but before oh, we'll get into that, but what I know it cuts back and now we're on a different line of access with the camera. And I'm convinced that the only reason that they do that is so they can show off the other half of the set. Like look I, at what we did. Yes, and, I, and, I and I'm okay have no with doubt. that. Yeah, I'm okay with that kind of thing, and I could see why a crew member, uh, you know, some fucking grip somewhere mm-hmm. would be like, I don't understand. I don't understand. All I do is pick up electric cables. It's not your job to understand. <laughs> Shut the fuck up and pick up your goddamn cable. Anyway, I don't. And also, I don't understand why nobody voted for Trump. But let's talk about the song because the movie is a borderline musical. Yes, at, at the very least. It has no qualms stopping the narrative dead. To do a ridiculous To do a song, song. a full number. A full number. Yeah. Uh, Maybe wh- that's why I don't know Tell it. me about the song. Talk, talk about the song. So that song, I love that it just goes into gibberish. It it literally goes into gibberish. That's when the and mushrooms kick says, in. It is. <laughs> I think you're supposed to be on shrooms when you watch this. They show her singing the verse, the chorus, and then when they cut away, you just hear her going, and she said, blah, la 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 And it's beautiful, but it is gibberish. Yeah, scatting, man. She's just scatting on a harp. How amazing is that? It's pretty great. Chris and I will talk. There's a recurring thing where we... I love it when actors are... This is a little bit different, but like when actors are required to sing a song to kill the time in the scene, mm-hmm. and they're usually told by the director or whoever, like, now you have to just make it up, like, because we can't get the rights to the song. So 
there are certain movies where you'll watch an actor do this kind of stuff, and you're like, oh, that guy doesn't know anything about making up a song. So it'd be like Friday Thirteenth Part Five is a, the best example of a guy who's like a rat tat tootie, a rabba dooba dootie, hot toot toot. But it's all like gibberish. Or Halloween does it like, oh, Paul, Paul. <laughs> I love Paul. And you're like, what the fuck song is that? Uh, but this movie, full song, and then gibberish. But what's great is is right on the fact of, of you call it, it's borderline musical, because they're having this in-depth conversation about how Elaine, who's the love witch, is is telling the woman that she's renting the apartment from that... Uh, you should you should really service your man and and be there for him and 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 care for him when he's sick and all these things and she's so like, like when you say service like an oil change and topping off the fluids yes, and getting the wipers done and everything and head oh and head okay yeah um so, glad just and so care then then the other the other woman who is engaged to get married and she says it specifically in this conversation that she's like well i did use sex to get this and she shows her in her engagement ring she's like but i'm not proud of it and then elaine's like you should be because that's what a man deserves and then all of a sudden it cuts in the it like at a point in that conversation to the harpist who just plays this song like, yes, wear a dress that satisfies him, la-dee-da-dee-dee-dee. Just to hammer the point home a little bit more. A little bit yeah. more. And, it's and a it, Greek chorus. That's exactly. <laughs> what it is. The Greek chorus is resonating what's being said. What's interesting about all of the scenes where, uh, uh, what's her character's name? What's The love witch? Yeah. Elaine. Elaine. Every time Elaine is like having tea or lunch or something with somebody and she's dispensing this wisdom. Yes. That is like every it cuts to the people she's talking to and they're always like there's like a look on their face of like the fuck are you how are you where are you right now where are you but it seems like well it throws it right in the face of this kind of idea of of feminism because if you think about how feminism kind of crops up in the swinging 60s it doesn't really crop up i mean feminism has been around for a long time but if you think about how feminism is portrayed in the 1960s and that you know this whole idea of the swinging 60s liberated woman birth control pill has come out you know women are really kind of burning their bras and and you know trying to kind of take charge it does kind of throw in the face of that era i mean this is a movie that's made in 2016 but you know these kind of neo-paganistic people that you know are you know, very matrilineal. You know, they're they're more about the matriarchy than the patriarchy. It does kind of fly in the face of that 1960s, you know, empowered woman. Except for when we find out that that's not actually true, and that this safe, like we said earlier, this coven that she's a part oh, it's of, it's very patriarchal is, and everything. Has taken run by the patriarch. Sexual advantage yes, of her, but that's I think that's the point that you know as far as you know like the point that Anna Biller might be trying to make in this. That's what it is because okay. she's spouting off this 1950s sort of you know well as a as a housewife yeah. and everything. I'm here to when my husband gets home, I need to have dinner ready for him, and the children in the house need to be sparkling clean, and I'll have his paper and his slippers because he's been working so hard all day you know that that seems to be the kind of stuff that she's espousing when she says these sorts of things and when you know the other actors on stage or in the scene with her you know are kind of looking at her like 
not, not quite what I would be expecting in this day and age to hear this <laughs> right, kind of right. old school throwback, you yeah. know, women come second, men come first mentality. <clears throat> but didn't it all, from a modern perspective, what I kept thinking about was it reminds me of the people that you have lunch with that are on their phones the whole time. Taking, They're not paying any attention to the conversation you're having to post onto Instagram. On you is know that, in- that is a lot. What it feels like in that first scene when she has from the woman she's renting the apartment with, and 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 she's trying to convince her that she's that that she knows how to control men. Yeah, but how does she control men with sex? Right, right, right. And even and what, piss in a jar, piss in a jar. <laughs> but I find it fascinating too. Um, she won't let him have sex or advance on her. The professor, I'm talking. I'm sorry, I'm mm-hmm. talking about the the very next character, mm-hmm. which is when she seduces the married essentially man? the the uh, the professor. Oh, oh, okay. The, the, not the, the married the man yet, hair. but the yeah, professor. Yeah. yeah, and she uh, she absolutely seduces him. But then when he wants to advance on her, she's like, "Nope, I have to make dinner first. <laughs> I have to make this romantic. I have." to do yeah, he's like let's and so, do it in the car like, let's do it in the car kids. and she's like no 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 stop yeah. and she gives him hallucinogenic herbs to yeah. like advance what she knows is going to be great sex because of that but however she she subscribes to the she subscribes to the housewife mentality of i need to make sure dinner's ready and i need to make sure that you have a great time while we're eating and then we will commence to the sex yeah that's where that's where the blurring for me is there i'm it, like what are you trying there. to say i'm not like i don't know i don't get it but i don't know i i'm not 100 percent sure that anna biller even knows <laughs> and, and that's okay well i um, wonder if she was trying to make a statement but uh, well, that's what I'm about saying. Like, the confusion of that the confusion okay maybe the, the blurred line between like yeah. satisfying and and being a complete woman for your man but also like being your own independent person because that's the conversation they have okay. at tea yeah all right so maybe that's the statement she's trying to make is see i just needed to talk about this movie with a woman with a lady yeah, yeah. because <laughs> i'm watching it just like yeah oh, uh, what <laughs> yeah well and i i honestly i i looked up the um the moment when she makes him dinner and then she says now you can make love to me just before that she gives because he's a professor at a college and she learns that while they're eating yeah that's right and she gives uh there there's a state oh gosh it just left my brain Mm. but it i felt like it was from a book or a poem or something and it was the you are not yourself kind of vibe and then she says i give you the rainbow Oh, I can't, I can't oh think no, of, it's when she takes her, she does she a striptease for him. Yes, and, and there's a rainbow, her, and she says, I line all of my clothing. And I, honestly, I looked it up today, and I can't think of it right now. I give you the rainbow. I give you the rainbow. Yeah, yeah. But before that, it sounded like it was from a piece of literature, and I okay. couldn't pinpoint it. I I tried oh, you, to Google it. It's just made up. It's for, made up yeah. for that. That was immediately what, what came up was the film. So Got it. I, I feel like it's from the film. I could be wrong, and I I'm apologize. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Yeah, and then she goes, I give you the rainbow. Yeah. Taste the rainbow. And then they proceed Skills. to have a very psychedelic sex scene. Psychedelic and, sex scene. And let's talk about that a little bit, because this movie does do something that I always am rambling on about. Um exploitation uh uh mutual exploitation i'm always I, i'm like i'm a i'm a heterosexual man and i love 
women's bodies. Okay, but there's a lot. And hides of, it with the man's butt. Yeah, there, well, well but there's I, dick there's in this a, movie. But I get tired of seeing all female nudity, and I, I love that this movie. Honestly, it in has the first both. Five minutes of the movie, it has bush and peen. Yeah, yeah, we see a dick. And also a sword in front of the dick, oh, like pointing it in, skewering the dick. Yeah. But that is also what gets me about this movie is there is immediate full frontal nudity. Yes, yes, and I that is paraded around the film, and I I I was very happy. It's unapologetic. To finally, yes, I was I very happy that. to finally see dicks in movies. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Brandon is happy to see dicks in movies. Yeah, this, nope. is a well this is a well-established thing. thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to see equal opportunity. I mean, the, the, the way that they... Show and brain. I never really felt that they... <clears throat> there's, like, sexual exploitation in the storytelling. Like, it's about that, you know, you know using your body as, as a, a tool or, or a, a weapon. weapon. Yeah. Um, yeah, a weapon specifically. <laughs> But, it, you know, she's we barely see her nude. I mean, if anything, right. you'd have to freeze frame if you want to see a nipple. You know, like you don't it's it's artfully does. T- it's I oh my God, I hate it when people say it's tastefully done. It's titillatingly done. It is. I mean, it's sexy. because usually like it's her hair that's covering, you know, her it breasts. Is. Yeah. When she even when she's doing her spells and everything, she's got a G string on. Yeah. But her hair's covering. Yeah. So it's you know, it's there. It's her never. It's. The, the it's not there's not a male gaze there and that was refreshing for me well, personally. Female director kind of helps that too. Yeah, it does. And I don't know anything about Anna Biller. I don't know what where she identifies. I don't know. Honestly, you, I haven't seen her name on anything else. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if she's done anything else. Honestly, but I I you know I appreciated the fact that she didn't let she that's a the heavy aspect of the story is the sexuality of the film and yet it doesn't the nudity and the sex that's in the movie doesn't intrude in an exploitative way. Yes. The sex scene is actually pretty sexy. It is. The the one where she has it with the professor? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually pretty, I, I mean, like, it's not bad. It's pretty good. Like, it's one of those things where you're like, wow, it, you know, he looks good. That's she sensual. looks good. Yeah, and it's sensual. Yeah. And I think that is one of the descriptives of the film is that it is a sensual film. And there are moments in it throughout that are Sensual. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Anna Biller actually uh, is a feminist filmmaker. She's made two movies. um, And she, yeah, she considers herself a feminist. And female gaze is actually one of her big topics that she likes to explore. But, yeah, she was a film student at UCLA and then got an MFA from CalArts. Oh, that's what I was noticing in the movie. There's an MFA behind that camera. Okay. Got it. Got which it. which does make sense yeah, in, in the entirety of the film. It does. It 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 has <laughs> that uh it has that like now you will see my thesis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, <laughs> that film and and it specifically does and that goes back to what I was saying about the acting which some of the scenes really do feel like oh we did this in film school. Let's repeat it because it was so good. And not necessarily that it was really good but that they learned something from it. They felt emotion, and they're like, this is how I'm supposed to feel on stage. This is how I'm supposed to feel when I'm making film. Yeah. Kind of thing. Any other let's, – let's, let's, uh, what are some other little drive-in things about this movie? Why, why do you think that this movie, Katie, would play well on a drive-in screen? Uh, the <laughs> riff tracks <laughs> are great <laughs> for it. Um, 
and I just go by that from like when my roommate and I've watched it and we riff tracks everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but can we talk a second about the the aesthetic yes, of the film? Yes, let's continue so, that. Because that is a, a driving point that Ann Biller puts too on even the, the description of the film is how it looks and how it feels. And you were and we're going way back to the furniture like the very first moment the very first moment that uh elaine sees her apartment yeah and um and i can't forgive me because i can't for uh remember the uh, other ladies i think it's the barbara. other character it might be barbara is barbara i don't very, know why i remember very general. that yeah. they're coming barbara. to get you barbara they're coming to get you barbara back to uh night of the living dead but spelled with the extra a not like how barbara's name is spelled that's right it's got to be 2016 yeah. let's go um, ba, but ba, ba, even when ba, ba, they're walking up and she's explaining us, I think it's a bit garish. And, mm-hmm. and I designed this apartment, but I don't agree with it. And then Elaine walks in and she's like, I'm in love with it because it's it's decorated with tarot images yeah. and flowing fabric and bright colors and all these things. And so the imagery throughout the entire film, and it does get towards the end of the film like – uh, when she's when the, with the detective and they go through the forest and all of a sudden there's a renaissance happening. There's a renaissance festival just in the forest all of a sudden and they can get married and I'm, I'm doing the quotations, air quotations. That's the um, scene where it was very clear to me that the local theater troupe that was friends joined with, in. with yes. Anna Biller got, all got a close up. They were like, thank you so much, Anne. We <laughs> they appreciate They all got a close-up. There's like a sequence where they all go, ah, and then another one goes, ooh, and another one yep. goes, with a guitar. There, and, is, you know, there like... is very specific <laughs> facial expressions that yes. happen. And it's like, you know, you could have cut all of that out, and it would have not changed the narrative, but she had to show off her friends. She had to show off her friends, <laughs> and that's, you know what, Anne, I, if you listen, I respect you for this film and everything that you've accomplished with it. Like, I... I very much enjoy this film, and I would watch it time and time again. Look, it's not easy to make a movie. Um, it's not. I can't imagine that it's easy to be a woman who's making a movie. I mean, as Chris has enlightened us with these stories about the crew members, probably men yeah. um, on the set uh, who don't like being told what to do from a woman. Um, and I, I've experienced that on many sets. Uh yeah, women in those charge guys don't really like. No, women. nobody. It's just it's not a thing. I yeah. mean, like uh, actors love it, um, and and creative people love it, but the people that are a little bit below the line, the, the, if they if they see, sense a weakness, they'll jump right. And the thing is, is I think for a lot of people, especially a lot of men, being a woman is the weakness. So it's that's the reason enough for them to want to jump onto somebody, especially who's a female uh, or a woman filmmaker. So well, it's funny. What's the line from the witches of Eastwick that when Jack Nicholson is talking about, uh, he goes, uh, men are intimidated by women with power. Their dicks get limp, (laughs) you know? So what do they do? They burn them. They call them witches and all for what fear of losing their hard ons. And you know, (laughs) I say that every time I go and I see like a torture museum, and I'm like, dude, people, m- men in charge tortured and killed women because they got a boner and they didn't know what mm-hmm. the fuck to do they with it. They didn't know what to do. They yeah. didn't know how to behave. Yeah. So they just put them on a fucking triangle. Well, I can't and probe like, her with this. So I've got to probe her with something else. Yeah. So I'm going to take this breast pulper, 
You know, you're like, what? That's what she Clysters did. and brands of fire. Or she, she gave me a hard-on, but didn't do anything with it. Yeah, right. And she couldn't anyway, because I'm a man of God. You know, like Cop therefore tees. she's not allowed, yes. and I well, won't give it. it to her. Kill her, so. kill, kill her, kill her, because I can't do anything with her. It is. They just brand her a tease, and so my point is, is I like I, because I can feel a little bit of my my personal uh, feelings about the movie uh, sinking in a little too much more. Like you're right, Katie. Like anybody who sets out who who makes a film has completed a. Uh, in a virtually impossible task. And I can't and and what I will say about The Love Witch is it is I can see a filmmaker's perspective very clear, which is something I can't say about auteur directed, let's say Marvel films or Star Wars films. Mm-hmm. You get someone like Ryan uh Coogler in there to direct a movie and you're like I do you, I don't know who directed this movie. It could have been anybody. Could have been anybody. Anna Biller, I watch this movie, I see that she had a low budget. She shot on film like a lunatic. <laughs> but I, I bet that that was part of her vision. And she I, I, wanted absolutely. to have an aesthetic. Well, and... trying to recreate that Technicolor look, too, without yeah. actually yes. using Technicolor. Because it's gone. Yeah. And, you know, Suspiria was the last movie to do it, yeah. uh, to use it for real. And I, so when I talk about it with you, when I talk about it in this situation, it, it's that's what I love about doing the show is it gives me, uh, selfishly, a, a, a a perspective shift because when I watch movies, I, I, you know, I I come in with my own bullshit. So Brandon's baggage is what we like. Yeah, to call but it. we all do that now. But I isn't never... that the point of watching a film <laughs> sure. product? Is yeah, it, I think it we is. We come in with our own bullshit. You take out of it what you bring into it, and you know. For You're me, watching, I was rewatching RoboCop. Yeah, right. I was like, I'm bringing in my own bullshit. That's this right. is a core memory that I have that I should not have watched this film as a young child. Or Monster Squad, like or you Monster said. Squad. You watch that because you have a, a, a childhood connection to it. You watch it with your friend, and your friend is like, I don't get it. I don't. I, this is like, boring. Yeah. And I'm well, like, okay. I but, mean, you're an adult. It makes sense. You know, yeah, it wasn't it made for you. It should be boring you. at this and time. And now Molly's not your roommate anymore, right? <laughs> she's moved out. I yeah, love her it. so much. She heard us talking about this in the future, and she's, she's gone. gone. You're going to get home, and it's be empty. She's gonna there's move just, out. There's and gonna, be, gonna, be gonna be an old woman with glass eyes and a wooden tail in a rocking chair sitting there. That would make sense because our house is obviously haunted by a witch. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so that said, love witch. Uh, I love love witch. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm you love love witch. I love love, I love witch. lamp. I love lamp, and I love love witch. <laughs> Lena Lovich. Yes. That is what I said. Don't correct me. <laughs> All right. So great choice um, for our headliner film. Now we've got two other movies that Chris and I are going to bring to the table. It's going to be up to you, Katie, to decide what you think pairs best. That's really heavy on my shoulders, Brandon. I know it is. And we hear that all the time. And I'm I have sure no sympathy for you or empathy whatsoever. Suck it up. You just have to deal with <laughs> Listen, it. Listen, <laughs> I have the biggest balls at this table. That's so. very true. Very true. I am up to the task. Great, great. All right, so three movies, one down, two to go. Two to go. Chris, you're up, bitch. My choice to bring to the table this evening to pair with Katie's The Love Witch is Quentin Tarantino's 2007 film, Death Proof. You've been following us. 
You saw my car, I saw your legs. Now look, I ain't stalking y'all, but I didn't say it wasn't a wolf. He's got charm. Is there anybody in this place you could vouch for to give me a ride home? Fair lady, your chariot awaits. He's got style. Do I frighten you? Is it my scar? It's your car. And he's got a set of wheels. Is it safe? Oh, it's better than safe. It's death proof. <laughs> to die for. Which way are you going? Left or right? Right, right. Ah, that's too bad. Why? Well, because it was a 50-50 shot on whether you'd be going left or right. But since you're going the other way, I'm afraid you're going to have to start getting scared immediately. From Quentin Tarantino, the director of Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Kill Bill, comes Death Proof. This car is 100% death proof. Only to get the benefit of it, honey, you really need to be sitting in my seat. If he likes the way you move, then he decides... method is brutal. His weapon is speed. But his latest targets are about to fight back. <laughs> Let's kill this bastard. You know our king lets you go. Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. A grindhouse feature. So yes, Death Proof, as I said before, released in 2007 as part of the two-film bill Grindhouse that was a group of films that were put out by Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. The other film which uh, Robert Rodriguez directed was Planet Terror, but we're going to talk about Tarantino's half, Death Proof. Guess what? He wrote the movie, too. First time. Yeah, first time he's ever written a movie. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> this movie stars Kurt Russell, Rosario Dawson, Zoe Bell, Tracy Thomas, Vanessa Ferlito, Sidney Tamila Poitier, Rose McGowan, Jordan Ladd, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and the Parks Boys. <laughs> nice that you put the Parks Boys. I did boys. that for so you, Chris. Michael and James Parks, Daddy Parks, and Son Parks. Goddamn yeah. hot fucking goddamn Are fucking they just day. Hot Every boys? step of the way. No, Michael Parks is a, a a character actor that if you saw his face, you'd be like, I've seen that motherfucker before. Okay. Um, and his son, he, he's in um. From Dusk Till Dawn. That's the first time okay. you actually see this character of Earl McGraw, the Texas Ranger. He's at the very beginning of From Dusk Till Dawn. And he Dawn. gets killed at the beginning yeah, of the he movie. Comes, he goes into the bar or the uh, the liquor store and he's like, he's a sheriff. Mm-hmm. And then he's in Kill Bill. He's a Texas Ranger. Okay, so I've seen him. Yeah, you know who he yeah. is. Okay. And then, yeah, he's in Kill Bill and Michael Parks is, I'm sorry, and James Parks is in Kill Bill Part 2 as well as the guys that are investigating the murder of the bride yeah. at the bridal chapel, which Chris Nelson, the effects designer, plays her husband in that. That's right. Um, and then Michael Parks and James Parks make appearances in both, well, actually, I'm sorry, uh, James Parks is only in Death Proof, but Michael Parks is in both Planet Terror and Death Proof. 
Um, now, read the synopsis, Chris, because I think anybody that's listening to this show has no idea what Death Proof yeah. is. <laughs> Two separate sets of voluptuous women's are stalked at different times by a scarred stuntman who uses his death-proof cars to execute his murderous plans. That's actually a really nice synopsis. Did you write that? No, I stole it from the Internet Movie Database. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Cannot take credit. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, that, just by watching the trailer? That's that's excellent. Chris, like I said... I think with well now, Katie, you you dropped a bomb on us, and that you told us you've never seen this movie. I've not seen this movie. Um, so I made the joke that like anybody who's listening to the show probably has seen the movie several times, so they know. Um, I would I almost want to lean on the side of like we don't need to talk about the plot of the film, and why don't you just lay down why you think it's great. But then Katie said she's never seen yeah. it. So we've got to kind so of we talk really about, talk it. about, about it. it. Yeah. Lay it out. So uh, essentially the way that this movie starts is, um, you know, it's kind of a throwback to these 1970s kind of road pictures like uh, um, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. Vanishing um, Point. Vanishing Point's another one. Um, you know, even like there's homage to Convoy in there. Even some of the Burt Reynolds, you know, a lot of Hal Needham movies and stuff that kind of came out of uh, the 1970s, you know, these real kind of rural, you know, rock and roll, hillbilly, driving fast, souped up cars, you know, kind of things. Can you say rural again? Rural. Thank you. I can roll my R's. (laughs) (laughs) The word rural does not require rolled R's. No, I will just let the audience know. That should be illegal to say that word. It should be illegal. For rural. Chris is from from Lakeland. He can say that word in his sleep. I'm from Polk County. Um, But um, is it worth it just to mention briefly what Death Proof was a part of? Well, I did talk a little bit about Grindhouse there. I mean, well, we did that off mic, but yeah. should we... Did, oh, that was off mic? Oh, do we okay. want to just um, leave that out, like, out? Because really, we're just talking about Death Proof, right? We are like, just talking about Death Proof. But, I mean, the idea is that, like, you know, this Death Proof was the second part of Grindhouse, which was this double feature that Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez put together in 2007, and they were two exploitation movies, you know? To Kurt, homage yeah, exactly. the... The drive-ins that you know we you know, or worship gr- at the grind of. houses, you know these these really rundown, nasty theaters that would just kind of play real exploitative fare uh, in order to get people to kind of come in because the movies generally would just kind of play on rotation, yeah, and you could kind of come in and go out as you please, you literally know? come in yeah. the the fucking aisles, yeah. Wow, people See, that's what that. people okay. would do. The, these movies were pretty much one step above porno yeah. in that, at least how they were treated. Um, it's not necessarily that all of them were like hardcore porn or anything like that, but they were super low budget, exploitative. So there's lots of boobs, lots of violence, uh, sex, you know, unsavory characters and everything. And so they, these two guys wanted to replicate that experience in a modern day movie theater. So they teamed up to make. Uh, Grindhouse double feature, which was, uh, uh, like you said, Planet Planet Terror Terror. and Death Proof, and in between would be trailers um, like you would see at a Grindhouse. That a lot of other well-known filmmakers were actually making those trailers. And -and up-and-coming filmmakers as well. So you got things like, uh, 
Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. Which he's actually going to be releasing, I think, this year. That's right. Or Jason Eisner's Hobo with a Shotgun. Hobo with a Shotgun. Which only, that trailer only showed up, though, in the Canada prints for this movie. Right. Um, But there was also... uh, Don't by Edgar Wright. Don't by Edgar Wright. Machete. Yep. Which was turned into a series of films. I think there were two of them. That yeah, there done. were two Machete movies. And then there was also um, Werewolf Women of the SS. By by Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie. So the point with is... Nicolas Cage as so Fu Manchu. Would we say these are uh, male strong? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, but because that's what these movies were, they were made for a demographically male audience. Um, but with this movie in particular, that's that what's was, interesting this is what's about, interesting about this movie. Is that, so now let's get all that... about to ask. Let's get is, all that grindhouse shit off that that's done. Okay. So now let's, okay. so let's talk let's about this movie now. Death Proof on okay, its so own merits. Death, Death Proof kind of turns that idea of exploitation of women uh, kind of on its ear. The funny part is that Death Proof the movie is kind of in two parts as well, okay? You have the whole beginning of the movie, and then you have this period of 14 months that goes by, and then you kind of got the second half of the movie. So the way the movie starts is that there's a uh, a uh, a group of women that are going to go out for just like a crazy weekend, okay? You have this one character uh, that's played by Sidney Poitier's daughter, uh, and she is Jungle Julia Lukai, and she is a very popular DJ in Austin, Texas. And she's being picked up by her friend, what's the damn character, Vanessa Fritlitas? They call her Butterfly. Anyway, they call her Butterfly in the movie. And then uh, Cheryl Ladd's daughter, Jordan Ladd, is the other friend. And so they go and they pick up Jungle Julia after she's gotten done with her show for the day. And they're going to go out and they're going to get margaritas and some tacos. And they're going to meet up with some boys at a... uh, at a bar later and then i think they're going to go out to jordan lad's dad's country place on the lake where they can have like a raucous girls weekend but no boys allowed um so they're trying to score some weed and do all this kind of stuff and as much like dr- last house on the left yeah um how can you have a raucous girls weekend without boys <laughs> just gonna i'm just gonna put that out there well but anyway yeah continue. all right well yeah Anywho, uh, they are kind of... Dial, call us in and answer that question. Yeah, there the, we go. The, the show's live. If you guys have an answer to that, let us know. Call 555-555-555 and we'll talk. So they are. They're, they're, kind of, they're kind of bar hopping a little bit. And as they're bar hopping, they keep noticing this... Uh, I want to say it's a 1970 Chevy Nova that's all black. It's kind of souped up and everything. It keeps following them around. And when they finally get to this bar, Warren's Bar, which Quentin Tarantino himself plays, the barkeep Warren. 71 Dodge Challenger. No. no oh, no, 69 no. Dodge Charger. Oh, 71 Mustang Mach Charger Warren. Oh, Challenger no, I'm sorry. different. 1970 Chevy Nova. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> Actually, I am somewhat I'm so I sorry. Am somewhat I that was three different eras and cars. That, that was. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a super huge car guy, but there are a few cars that exist in the world that I am kind of crazy about. And actually, most of them are in this movie. I'm going to ask you a quick question. You have to answer, or somebody's oh, going to get murdered. Come on. Um, I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> Pick one. Stuntman Mike's 1977 Chevy Nova. Two of the cars are Stuntman Mike's. The Chevy Nova? The Chevy Nova, and then later on he's driving making 69 Challenge. Which one do you think is the I'm best sorry, of those 69 two? 69 Charger. Which one do you think is the best of those two? Uh, I personally would probably take the 69 Charger. Okay. I would take the 69 Charger. You would? Okay, so Chris, 69 Charger mm-hmm. or the Hemi Cuda from Phantasm? 
Oh, I, I'll go with the Himikuda. Yeah, you will. I will go with the That's Himikuda. That's my friend. Yeah. Himikuda wins out on that one. Definitely. We almost ended the show. If you had chosen different, it would have no, been it. No, we no. all would have died tonight. <laughs> you all would have been Although murdered. I was a really, really big fan of the 65 Mustang that was in The Love Witch. I was about to bring up the, <laughs> the, that's, the throwback That's one of the things that to I kind of told the brand into. I said, you know, there's something about this these series of movies that we've all picked here because they've all got vintage cars in them. All yes. of them do. So I'm a big fan of that. But anyway, um, this 70 Nova keeps following these girls around and Vanessa Ferlita's character keeps noticing the car. And when they go to Warren's bar where Quentin Tarantino is the barkeep and everything, uh, Omar Doom and... Uh, also, um, Eli Roth, who yeah. both appear in Inglorious Bastards, are the boys that they meet at this one bar. Like, they were actually planning on meeting them there. And the boys are trying to figure out a way to get to the girls' lake house so it can be a raucous girls' weekend. But, um, anywho, um, you begin to realize that there's this guy sitting at the bar just sloppily just munching on nachos. And I don't know what it is, but that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie is just these close-ups of, of Kurt Russell. Yeah, not just any guy. Yeah, it's Katie, Kurt it's fucking Kurt Russell. Russell. Kurt Russell eating nachos at the bar playing this guy called Stuntman Mike. When we said Kurt Russell, you took a breath. I did. <laughs> and, and I was about to address that breath because <laughs> Kurt Russell is one of those, he will forever be a crush of mine. Yeah. As is Harrison Ford. Yeah. They are both crushes of mine. No matter what age they are, I find them attractive. Both well, Chris and I will fight you for both of them. This is... Uh, fight me? <laughs> what, yeah, wait, yeah, what do you mean by that? Just with Give magic me. and spells. Magic and spells. <laughs> Not like physical fighting, but we'll just... We'll see who can cast fireball, a better spell. Fireball! 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 <laughs> We're playing D&D now, I'm guys. I'm casting Morton Kitan's mystical watchdog <laughs> on you. No. If... if <laughs> Yeah, but uh, incredible yeah. reference. Um, but if and and I hesitate to say this, but I and I put it in quotations, listeners, is uh, old man crush. My two absolute tops are Harrison Ford and Kurt Russell. Okay, they just okay. are mine. Well, then you're going to love this movie, and this is why you should vote for my movie because it's a better pairing for the Love Witch because it has Kurt Russell in it. And I'm going to oh, tell you, you low blow motherfucker, this movie <laughs> fucking rocks. A good portion because of Kurt Russell. And that's the other thing. Like, when I rewatched this movie recently, I'm like, God damn, I love Kurt Russell. He's I one of those him. performers that he I can do. fucking do him. anything. And I will watch You're Kurt wearing Russell a shirt the- that says the pork chop explosion. Oh, and oh, I did oh. I did recognize did, that. Did I did I wear a Kurt Russell shirt? Well, something he that wore, kinda has something to do with Kurt Russell on my he shirt. You wore a Kurt Russell shirt. I will also say that um I did address my eyeshadow to be of the love witch. That's today. right. We didn't mm-hmm. uh, I meant to I wanted to mention that. You took yes, I you took time nailed it. To to make my makeup exactly as the love witch. When you came into the studio tonight, Very to, the, to the drive-in, I, uh, I yeah, we were both like, uh, did Samantha Robinson did I, just show up? Did I cast a spell on you both? Because yeah. that was my yeah, it worked. She put a spell on you <laughs> because you're, you're fucking weirdo. <laughs> wow, that doesn't rhyme. Nah, shut up. <laughs> All right, so anywho, back to Death Proof. So anyway, Kurt Russell's character, Stuntman Mike, is in this bar because basically he's stalking these girls, okay? We've seen a lot of creepy things that kind of lead up to this. He happens to have photographs of uh, Jordan Ladd and Vanessa uh, Ferlito and, uh, and uh, Sidney Poitier. 
So not seeing the film, he he actually has yeah he's photographs. He's stalking. Okay. He is. Yeah. Okay. I mean it's okay. it's essentially Tarantino's riff on a slasher movie. Instead of making the slasher movie a, a masked killer, he makes it a stunt the most handsome man in Hollywood who uses yes. his automobile to kill people. Oh my god! I'm sorry. I just had a thought bomb. Okay, thought bomb. Drop it. Drop Stuntman it. Mike, the character that Kurt Russell plays, mm-hmm. is also in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That also stars Samantha Robinson from The Love Witch. No shit. Yeah, and actually, I was wrong. She's not one of the Manson family. She's Abigail Folger. That's who she is. Yeah, Folger. She's, she's one of the people Folger. that gets uh, killed, or, or who or does not get does killed. not get killed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, but anywho, don't let that influence you. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, we find out earlier in the day, uh, Jungle Julia, the DJ, has got her friend Butterfly that's coming in from out of town. And it's very obvious that Veronessa Ferlito's from fucking Brooklyn. Uh, you know, she's just got this really, really thick Brooklyn accent and everything. Um, but she says, well, on her radio show, I've got this friend. And if you happen to come across my friend Butterfly and get down in front of her on one knee and recite Basically, Robert Frost's poem. Uh, um, oh my God! What's uh, I'm trying to remember what the fucking lines are for this poem. <laughs> Fuck if I know. Yeah, you know how I feel about poetry. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we already went through that <laughs> off mic. But anywho, uh, if you recite these lines from a Robert Frost poem and stuff like that, she's going to give you a lap dance. So anyway, uh, nobody during the course of the movie does this to her until all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, Stuntman Mike comes up to her and he kind of looks at her and he recites the poem. And she's like, oh, and Jungle Julie's like, yeah, this fucking dude's weird. So she says, yeah, she already did it tonight. She's not going to do the lap dance for you. Sorry. And he goes, I don't really think that's true. And he says, do I scare you? And she's like, yes, you do. And he goes, is it my scar? Because Stuntman Mike's got this big scar down his eye. Um, What's up? What? Oh, it's in the trailer. Yeah. That's all. Oh, okay, okay. And she goes, it's not your scar, it's your car that frightens Yes. She kept seeing, she kept that is the part of the trailer. trailer. Yeah. So she yeah. kept seeing the car, you know, all around and everything. But um, because it's fucking Kurt Russell, he's a charming motherfucker. He is so charming. And he in this movie, it's fascinating because he's, he's, you know how Tarantino does this thing with his, like, uh, his... The men that are in his films, where it's like they engage. Even the most evil people have a like a redeeming. A, well, maybe I don't a know charm. about redeeming. I don't know but if it's charm. redeeming. It's like a charm that makes there you. Is. So There's like a charm. Hans Landa in Inglorious Bastards is like a fucking scumbag, but you you hang on every word he says because he's so goddamn because he's charming. so charming, and so this is almost like proto that. Like this is Kurt Russell doing that kind of same thing being charming but also the reactions are it's like I'm up to you to decide where you kind of go are these women grossed out by this guy or are they into it and you don't ever you don't know. ever really know because they keep griping like you know about how old he is and everything too and like there's points where but that's the Kurt thing Russell's... he doesn't actually look that old yeah, yeah. But in, in the trailer when you no, he look looks at it you're like great yeah. it's Kurt Russell yeah. it's Kurt Russell he's always looked amazing. but he's talking to all these women in the bar and everything and like he's talking about well I was a stunt man and I did this show and ironically enough there are actually shows that Kurt Russell the actor was in it was when he was a kid but he was in the Virginian and you know some of these other western TV shows 
And he's talking about how he used to stunt double for these people. And then all of a sudden he looks at the girls. He goes, you have no idea what it is that I'm talking about. They're like, nope, never heard it, never seen it. And like, that's kind of an ongoing joke is that like he's kind of over the hill past his prime. Nobody has any clue as to, you know, who he is or what he's done. Um, so uh, he charms the pants off almost figuratively and literally charms the pants off of Vanessa Felito butterfly and so she does the lap dance for him and actually it's a pretty sexy scene the the lap dance is is a pretty good scene um and after that happens uh there's kind of a bit of an interchange part of it takes place before the lap dance part of it afterward but rose mcgowan is another person that's in the bar and she's been stood up for the night so uh she's kind of asking around if somebody can give her a ride and kurt russell says he goes well i can give you a ride but i'm not leaving right now but i'll tell you what when I choose to leave, you know, I'll You'll ask you, are me. you ready to go? And I'll take you home. And she's like, okay, fine. So a good time is had by all and everything. Um, Sydney Poitier, uh, Jordan Ladd, Vanessa daughter. Polito. Yeah, Sydney Poitier's well, daughter. I was going to well, say, wait. <laughs> but her name is Sydney Poitier as well. Oh, it- Oh, yeah, you're right. He's Sydney with an S-I. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. she's Sydney you're with right. an S-Y. I'm sorry, Spelled dude. Differently. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry. But yeah. you're correct in that it well, is a that's different why we say, yeah. You're correct that's why we in say, that it is a different person. Oh, thank person. you. Sydney <laughs> Tamila Poitier. <laughs> but anywho, um, you know, they go off for the evening. And, of course, Kurt Russell is going to take Rose McGowan home. But when they approach the car, she's looking at it. The car is really cool. It's got a fucking skull on it with crossed lightning bolts underneath it. And then it's got a big old chrome duck for the hood ornament and if anybody that's been you know watching these you know car movies and such from the 70s um if you've ever seen convoy which is a sam peckinpah movie that's got chris christopherson in it and it's about a group of truckers that are basically kind of be awesome it's an an awesome movie but they're you know they're running kind of like a contraband convoy across the country so essentially what you're saying is there's a lady boner going on yeah kurt russell gets a boner from the lap dance and then has to murder. No, Kurt Russell doesn't get a boner from the lap dance because the lap dance, as cool as it is, doesn't quite give him the boner. And I'll tell you about something interesting right, about right. this movie in just a second. So um, anyway, he's got this hood ornament that's this duck, which is the exact same hood ornament from Convoy that they have. Now. It's a nice little Easter egg there. Um, but when he opens up the passenger door, she looks at it. She's like, what the hell is this? There's just a fucking like pipe in there. And he goes, oh, yeah, well... This is, you know, a death-proof car. Uh, when you're a stunt person and everything, you, you can get, like, all the technicians that work on it. And basically they reinforce and put roll bars and, you know, kind of a roll cage in there that will protect the driver no matter what happens to the car. And anyway, sometimes the director wants to get scenes from inside the car. So this is where you mount the camera. And then he pulls out, like, a fucking metal tractor seat and slides it in there. He's like, so you can kind of sit here. So he gets in the car, she gets in the car, and then he pulls up to the edge of the parking lot. And this is a really, really cool scene where he says, so are we heading left or are we heading right? And she goes, oh, yeah, we're heading right. And he goes, ah, well, you had a 50-50 chance, you know. Um, If you said that you were going to be heading left, you know, that'd be one thing. If you said you're heading right, well, you wouldn't have realized that you would have been in trouble for that much longer so I guess you're going to have to start getting scared right now. <laughs> and then he takes off in the car. And because there's no seat belt or anything on the side of the car, he's like, he's bouncing her all on the inside of the car. And she's just getting beat up 
bouncing off all these, you know, reinforced metal frame and everything. Um, and then at one point he's driving and she's kind of like, you know, I'm sorry, I won't tell anybody and like that. And he's like, yeah, he goes, remember how I told you this car is death proof? Well, you only get that benefit when you're sitting in my seat. And he slams on the brakes and her face just gets crushed, slams into the dashboard. And she's just like a bloody fucking mess. And she's like, so the idea is it's a slasher movie where the killer's not using a knife or a chainsaw. He's He's using a car. Creating harm. No, he is. is. But his weapon of choice is a a vehicle as opposed to. But he himself is not using his hand. Correct. Correct. So now it becomes this stalk and slash in a way. So he's like, I got to go find my other girlfriends. And so he drives down the way that they were going and everything. And then he kind of passes by them. And they're all drunk and stoned. And they're singing songs in the car and have no idea. So he passes them on the highway, goes way further down, does a 180 and stops. Turns off his headlights and everything, and then starts going 100 miles an hour straight towards them. And just as they're about to meet cars, he turns his headlights on. And in this wonderfully edited scene, because what is it? Uh, Sally Menke, who was the editor on yeah. this film, who Tarantino worked with quite a bit before she passed away. Um, and it's just this beautifully edited sequence where the two cars collide at like 200 miles an hour closing speed and his car skips up uh sydney poitier is hanging with her leg hanging out like you know the window of the car her leg gets severed and goes flying across that uh i'm trying to think jordan lad i don't somebody's uh, so is this all the powerful women no (laughs) so that's the setup right like so it's a it's a horrific murder a tire skins somebody's face off um, you know, uh, uh, somebody goes through the windshield mm-hmm. and skids all the way. It's just a, uh, it's brutal, a, a it's brutal just and graphic brutal. murder. Now, something that was shot but was not put in the movie is that uh, in the original scene, ending of the scene, is that Stuntman Mike's in this death-proof car. And he's all banged up because, I mean, it's going to keep you from getting killed, but he still got horribly hurt. Uh, the way that the scene was originally shot is that Kurt Russell's in the driver's seat masturbating furiously after the car accident. Yeah, a little, a little. And that was, Tarantino said, yeah, that's too much. We already kind of get the idea. It's like what they did with Psycho in the remake of Psycho where they have Vince Vaughn Vaughn looking and like jerking off, like looking at, it's like, we we get it. That's that's what's intimated. And Tarantino kind of figured that out too. He said, you know what, I've got this scene a little bit later where they're at the hospital and Earl McGraw, the Texas Ranger and everything, has been questioning Kurt Russell's character and he and his son or walking around kind of having a conversation he goes you know nobody's gonna believe me but i think that guy murdered those girls now i can't prove it because they're all drunk and high the toxicology came back on them but we've got a bartender at a bar and the tests that prove that he hasn't drank an entire thing but i think it's some sort of weird sex thing and i'm going to tell you right now while i may not be able to prove anything i'm going to make damn sure that he's never going to do something like this in texas again so that's pretty much the end of the first half of the movie. Then we fast forward about 14 months and we're in Lebanon, Tennessee. And you've got a group of women that are all working on a movie that's shooting on location in Lebanon, Tennessee. And they're driving this nice uh, Mustang Mach 2 um, and uh, they're at a convenience store. And who so happens to pull into the convenience store but Stuntman Mike in his 69 Charger. 
And of course, he sees feet hanging out the window because, once again, this is a Quentin Tarantino film, and this is probably the most explicit foot fetish movie that Tarantino has ever done because pretty much you've got feet, naked feet, all over the place, all the time. And there's this point where I think one of the girls is going inside to get a cup of coffee and some cigarettes or something. One girl's sleeping in the back seat, which is Rosario Dawson. Um, you've got Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who's sitting in the pa- or in the driver maybe in the passenger seat and she's got like headphones in and stuff. And she's like singing and rocking out to a song. Stuntman Mike sees these feet hanging out there and he's playing with her toes and everything. And she's like moving her feet and everything. And then at one point I think he's licking her toes in very Tarantino fashion. Yeah. And then picks up, you know, he throws down his keys, picks up the keys and she's like, wait a second. What? Somebody's messing with my feet. I think that guy brushed against my feet while he was going to get in the car. So the girls hop into the car Go to the airport to pick up their other friend, Zoe, who is actually played by actress and stuntwoman extraordinaire, Zoe Bell. She's playing herself in this movie. And they go and pick her up, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do because they got three days off from shooting on the movie. So they're going to go out and, you know, party, have a good time. And Zoe Bell has always had this fetish to drive around in a 1970. Dodge Challenger, which is directly from the movie Vanishing Point. Now, Zoe Bell's a stunt woman. Um, uh, one of the other characters, Tracy Thomas, she's a stunt woman as well. Uh, Rosario Dawson, I think, was a makeup artist on the movie. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead is an actor. So they go out to this crazy-ass farm where the weirdo guy that's always in all those Adam Sandler movies, I can't remember what that dude's name is, and stuff. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Anyway, he's in all the Adam Sandler movies. Um he happens to have a Dodge Challenger for sale. So they convince him to let them take the Challenger out for a test drive. And Zoe Bell being the stunt person, she's like, I've always wanted to do this game called uh, Ship's Mast, where she straps herself to the hood of the car and they drive it like 100 miles an hour because it's just super thrilling and they're just, you know, crazy adrenaline junkies and everything. So Stuntman Mike has been following them around. And while she's out and about, you know, clutching to the hood of this car at 100 miles an hour, Stuntman Mike comes in and starts banging the car and trying to fuck with him, basically. And he runs them off the road, and Zoe Bell goes flying off the hood of the car. And then Stuntman Mike takes off. Turns out she's okay, but Stuntman Mike picked the wrong bitches to fuck with. And that's where you should leave it. Yeah. Because the the, the rest of the movie is... An intense chase sequence, exactly, and uh, of, of insane of... stunts and car driving, and it's best. Yeah, to, it's, it's. I, I would not be, be able seen. to do it justice by going through and trying to describe everything that happens there. But anyway, you know, it turns into this battle between stuntman Mike and two stunt women. Yeah, and their friend, two, yes. two stunt women and a makeup artist, and these bitches do not take shit from nobody. Yeah. And that's where it flips the, yeah. The, that's where the, the strong idea. women coin comes yeah. in. Okay. Okay. Now, Chris. Yes, Brandon. Why is this a pairing? Why is this a good pairing for the Love Witch? Well, because uh, this is a different take on this kind of feminist representation that you find in the Love Witch. You know. Uh, Anna Biller says that, you know, it's a feminist film and that she's exploring certain feminist themes and everything. Um, 
but this takes on female empowerment in a completely different fashion, okay? How so? The character of Stuntman Mike is old school. He's an old school stuntman. He's old school patriarchy. This is man's work and everything. And Stuntman Mike, uh, he derives gratification and pleasure from frightening women. Plain and simple. Now, when you put him up against two stunt women who are, you know, basically in the same business that he is, they do not scare the same way that I think the women that Stuntman Mike is used to. Yeah, exactly. He bites off more than he can chew. And uh, the interesting part about this is that when the tables turn and the women go after him, he is crying like a little bitch. A fucking pussy? A fucking <laughs> pussy. Stuntman Mike is, and, and, and I love it too because it's fucking Kurt Russell playing this part. You know, this is and I love him. And testament <laughs> I to love Kurt, Kurt, Russell's, Russell. Kurt Russell's talent and everything too. He goes from being this cocksure, smooth, charming, you know, but also cold-blooded killer and he turns into a complete and utter coward. And they done whoop his ass and he is just begging and howling and crying uh and it is it's just it's a wonderful comeuppance uh, on it and i just i enjoy it you know some people might kind of be critical and say you know well basically they turned as bad as he is well you want to know something after what they've endured and everything i think they're allowed a little bit of um Revenge? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of what this movie plays into. You have your 1970s revenge-o-matic movies, and this sort of turns into a revenge-o-matic. And Quentin Tarantino is a, is a major, major fan of revenge-o-matics. Um, and if I may say, The Love Witch does start with her saying, I'm taking revenge by I know how to control men with sex mm-hmm. and with... Sure. Yeah. With when, with my will. Yes. Well, so, these are these are women that are using their bodies and their skill set to do something better than what the man can do. And I think that's, you know, a really, really kind of interesting plan here. I mean, there's a lot of uh, of joy in this. And, you know, the, the other great part about it is that, you know, Zoe Bell being a stunt woman, it's her on this. I mean, when she's on the hood of that car doing her. 100 miles an hour, it's her. I mean, they do close-ups on her face and it ain't no fucking cg and it ain't no other stunt man it's her and really of all the performances you know i think hers might be slightly the weakest just because she probably doesn't have quite as much experience uh as an actor but i think she does an admirable job you know she's um a very funny character and when a lot of things like when you think that she's dead you know, after she gets goes flying off the hood of the car and everything, and you've got both Rosario Dawson and Tracy Thomas, and they're crying because they think that their friend has just died. All of a sudden, she just kind of pops up out of nowhere, and she's kind of like, I'm okay. <laughs> kind of like uh, Indiana Jones 3, like Last yeah, Crusade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I never got to tell him everything. And you kind of stumbling. Yeah. yeah. I'm all right. What are you guys uh, looking at? All right, Chris, give us some dead city tallies here tell us give, give us some let's hear some dirt on this bitch yeah uh, i i will admit i'm intrigued yeah whereas uh full confession coming into this love witch i thought psycho beach party 
that's going to be the match. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, t- from a tonal standpoint, these movies are very, very different, but they are both kind of throwbacks into like the styles. You've got a style from the 1960s. This is a style definitely from yeah. the 1970s. But um, I, I also was approaching it from a retro perspective. Right. Of... Which is good. That's the way to go. Yeah. But let. Okay, so some Dead okay. City tallies Yeah, give us some tallies, this, okay? Yeah. Um, you've got gratuitous shots of people's feet. <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah. You know, fetishes. You've got uh, incredible K&B violent effects. You know, dismemberments, uh, faces being mutilated. Really gnarly bodies shit. Really flying gnarly. flying through windshields. Um, you've got faces being caved in with fucking dropped fucking axe kicks and everything in extreme um, slow motion i might add by the way bullet hits uh you have amazing stunt driving and stunts that are being performed by zoe bell uh you've got a twisted sense of humor you've got uh throwback stuff you've got both uh twisted nerve so they've got bernard herman an homage to bernard herman's score from twisted nerve you've got an homage to the score of um Ennio Morricone's Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which are, you know, movies that came out in the 1970s, so they're contemporary films, at least to the the era that this movie is trying to portray. Um, you've got a phenomenal performance, really, from most of the actors in here. I mean, it's like, you know, the performances are really, really good. And Kurt Russell, uh, I just, I, I look at this movie and I go, you know what? His performance is phenomenal because how often have you seen Kurt Russell playing a villain? Ne- rare, Not. Rare, never. Yeah. I mean, like, this is it. Like, maybe Captain Ron? <laughs> yeah. oh, I fucking love Captain Ron. Of course Ron. you do. I love You're awesome. Captain of course you Ron. love Captain Ron. But uh, I mean, to see. I vote for the villain in that movie yeah. because I just love Kurt Russell. Yeah, but I to also see love Kurt Jordan. Russell playing a villain. And doing it with such gleeful fun, you can tell that he is having an awesome, awesome time. Which is probably why he's worked with Quentin Tarantino three times times. now. But can I put this on the table? Because I I know it has no relation to the films we are discussing tonight. Mm -hmm. But Overboard, he's a villain in that. It's going overboard, first of all. Isn't going it? overboard? Is, no, 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 no. It's, it's overboard. overboard. It's not. Oh, it is overboard. Oh my God. I, can't, I can't believe How I dare you, Brandon? How dare you? Bullshit on Don't you. mansplain me. Going I know what I'm fucking is talking the about. Adam Sandler movie. Yes. Fuck get that. Me. Get that shit off the table. <laughs> How dare you? I'm gonna fucking I flip quit. this table right in a now. a piece of shit. But yes, when you kind of look but, at it with today's lens and everything, looking back at Overboard, he's the villain. It's yeah, yeah. But I still, I'm still in love with him. But he's the villain, and so is. So is our beloved Goldie Hawn. How can you? Um, how can a, but he's a villain, a villain in that have movie. such beautiful blue eyes? He's that you he's just beautiful. Want to swim and in. the and the the tank top like swipe with yeah. the, the thumbs. Absolutely, the only man that should be allowed to wear a tank top. By the way, I have Kurt a, speaking of tank tops too. The Jack Burton Samurai Rising Sun tank top yeah. is in the movie. I never really. So when they're at Warren's bar. Okay, and they're sitting next to the jukebox. Okay, right to the right of the jukebox, above Sidney Poitier's head when she's sitting down, you can see Jack Burton's tank top. Nice. Now, Chris, let me ask you this. Where does this rank in the Tarantino filmography for you? Well, actually, if you ask Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino says this is the worst movie I've ever made. I wondered that when I watched the trailer. Honestly, I had that thought of, it's Quentin's. But theory out there's there's a kind of weird twist to that too 
and the movie's pretty damn good, is what he says. He okay. goes, this is the worst movie I've ever made, but the movie's pretty he damn good. He ranks it on his the bottom end of his of his own yes, filmography. But Where do you rank it, Chris? He's proud of it, and he enjoys it. Um, you know, this movie, much like Jackie Brown, I kind of consider an outlier in his oeuvre. Okay, but... Because stylistically, you know, Jackie Brown is also you know, pretty much the only one of his films that it's a movie that he's directed that's not based on his own material. Okay. Um, this one is such a stylistic approach and everything that it's very, very different than a lot of his other movies, too. So I kind of consider it, you know, its own thing, really. I, I But you have to rank it in the ovoir. You have to put it in there. Where is it for you? Like, what is your favorite Tarantino? Oh, that's a tough one, dude. That's that's a super tough D- one. Right now, go! You've got Pulp five Pulp Fiction. Fiction's probably spot. my favorite. Okay. Pulp Fiction's number one. What's your least favorite? It sounds like Jackie Brown. Uh, it does. I haven't seen I Jackie Brown you, as many times as I've seen the other movies. That's the other okay. issue, so too. I, so, so, but that tells you. Yeah, that's that's yeah. telling that's kind of that the that's your least favorite if you've seen it the yeah. least yeah. times. And our Tarantino fans are going, you know the point? Jackie Brown is... And I'm not saying that it's a bad movie. No, of course you're not. Ladies and gentlemen... It's Chris is wanking. <laughs> it's what? It's... Chris is wanking. My wanking. Where do I wank Quint- Quentin Tarantino's film ouvre? Do you like this yes. more than Django? Um, no, probably not. As... Do you like it more than... But... What's up? What's there up, was Katie? so much hesitation in that. Do you like it more than uh, Bastards? Honesty. No. Okay, so this is... It's in the middle. This is like your second favorite of it, like your second least of his movies. Yeah, but I still like the movie. And honestly, of course, the, the, the well, more, this is the more, like... the more that I watch the movie, the more I'm liking it. So honestly, right now as it stands, then yes, it's going to fall in the bottom half. Homie only made the ten movies. Well, eight, nine eight movies. Mo- nine movies. So like, it's not like he's done a hundred movies and you're putting yeah. it on the bottom end of you know like yeah. You're saying, and that's not percentage a, wise. Yeah, like it's. I'm just curious because I feel like this is the least discussed Tarantino film that's out there. I really do. I feel like it's. Like, I think people should take another look. Yeah, I think well, it's written I'll be off. honest. I didn't know it was a Tarantino film until the end of the trailer. Fascinating. Yeah. So it's 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 got this written off vibe, and you know my my response to it is the first time I saw it, I was a little bored by it, mm-hmm. but I I loved some of the stuff. It's one of those movies that I I I. Unfortunately, did not get a chance to revisit it for this episode. I, gar- I promise right now. I mean, I'm going to be watching it this week. Well, like, I yes, think I will I, watch it within the next I week. I think that this yeah. movie should be viewed with Planet Terror. I think you know you should make a duff- double feature is it a duo? and watch these yeah, movies it together. Is, it is, but they're different styles or different tastes. But now, but we're not talking about Planet Terror. No, we're, we're talking not. about the we're Love not. Witch, my friend. Yes, absolutely. So a partner with the Love. Yeah, so, I still think that it would fit very, very well because it's stylistically different yeah. enough. It gives you another kind of shot in the arm. It's a different. A com- it's a shot of adrenaline yeah. that comes a little differently, and it would yeah. be that's your way. But of- I think it, the contrast that it provides to the Love Witch would make for a good pairing. That's what I think. I okay. love the idea of contrast yeah. in double features. That's like one of the things that interesting. Yeah, I think that it's. Um, you know, we had an episode earlier that like in the season that was like. Uh, an older film uh, it was the bad seed the bad seed and then uh was our guest's choice chris picked uh village of the damned they're 
Okay. They're so, so similar. Bad well, Seed is Elijah. Well, there's only five years difference between those two movies being made. Yeah. And Elijah so, uh, Wood and Macaulay Culkin, right? Basically, or, The Good that's Son. That's The Good Son, yeah. Oh, That's The Good Son. I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize. But, you know, and then my choice was something wild. It was a contrast, right? Like, it was yeah. a it was an 80s movie that was, like, insane. And, it like, that was what... It was the same reason you have chosen Death Proof was, like, with the children, was the con- a contrast in double features. We don't really talk about how we sequence stuff or how the, the the aesthetic of a double feature enough on the show. Not really. I mean, we kind of think about, like, we give the choice to the person, that, our guest programmer, of what order you want to show these but films. But contrast, and... I think, is important. I like Because if you're watching two movies back-to-back that are identical, then it's like... What's, what's the, the interest? What's the what's... interest, right? Yeah. So I love the, the idea of contrast, contrast in a, a, a double feature. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I when you told me that Death Proof was your choice, I thought that makes complete and total sense. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to revisiting the movie. I mean, I like. I'm interested to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, hey, well, dude, hey, maybe I'll set up a double feature, uh, a grindhouse double feature at some point. We should, everybody can come over. We and should just watch Planet Terror and uh, a. a Death proof, yeah, that's back what to I'm back, saying, no matter yeah. what. Um, all right, cool, great choice, Chris. We've got one more movie to program uh, or one more movie to discuss. Let's do it, um, guys. I've got a movie that I'm going to offer up to the drive-in gods. What's your movie? My film is called Psycho Beach Party. I guess we are the only ones watching the movie. These guys have only one thing on their minds. Want a wiener? There are some fried tomatoes in that tin can. I can feel it in my nuts. You and your nuts. You kids think you own this beach. Think it's a teenage world. Well, you're dead wrong. I'll help you with that. Have I been acting strange lately? Who do you have to to get a hot dog in this dump. What? Well, yeah, no, for la mañana, medio dia. A surfer chick with a split personality. Uh, should I unpack my bongos? I intend to unpack mine. <laughs> All right, guys, come on. That's, that's enough. <laughs> oh, what the hell is that? Oh, I hate to say this, but I think our little chipper may be the butcher at Malibu Beach. Strange that the victim had only one testicle stuffed in his mouth. Well, that's because he only had one. Plenty of meat, but only one potato. A little sex. I believe this is what you young people call it. A gangbang. A little sin. I've got a bad boy. Bad boys get spanked. A little psycho. Party till you drop. Dead. I hope you put some Bactina in that scratch. Psycho Beach Party. That's the most exciting story idea I've heard in years. The year is 2000. In the year 2000. You haven't done that since season two. Yeah. Um, directed by Robert Lee King. 
He's leaking? From a screenplay by Charles Bush based on his off-Broadway play. Bush. The film is starring Lauren Ambrose, Thomas Gibson, Nicholas Brendan, Kimberly Davies, Matt Kessler, Amy Adams, and of course, Charles Bush himself. Here's a synopsis for you. Herself. You're right. You're right. That's masturbatory. Can I just say that? Yeah, it is. Okay. Okay. Here's a synopsis. Chicklet is a 16-year-old tomboy who's desperate to be a part of the in-crowd of Malibu beach surfers. She's the typical American girl, except for one little problem. Her personality is split into more slices than a pepperoni pizza, babe. Ooh, hey. That's a Dennis Miller. Just shut up, babe. Specifically pepperoni pizza. Yeah, I don't... (laughs) Why? Who wrote that? Not me. That was it you? love it going to the beach and seeing No, pepperonis. it wasn't me. So that was the IMDb synopsis. I went on Letterboxd to oh, find yeah? a better synopsis because I hated the pepperoni pizza thing. And that was the better one, right? No, it's mm. the exact same one. Oh, Stop. no shit. They copied each other. Or somebody stole it from someone. All right, guys. Psycho Beach Party. Um, here's why I chose. So I watched The Love Witch, and I was... I even texted this to Chris. I was... I just that there's there are only two movies that I feel pair with this, and I don't mean I'm not throwing you under the bus here, but this is my how I felt when I watched this. The only two movies I can think of that matched the Love Witch are Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and Psycho Beach Party, and I busted my brain to try to come up with something different, something like Chris's Death Proof that would be a little more contrasty, but I couldn't do it. And it it was this. Psycho Beach Party is... You guys are both familiar with the play. Oh, very much so. Yes. Katie, yes? Yes. Chris, I think you even told me you've seen the play fucking 64 fucking times. I don't know if it's 64. Jamie did the show, and I practically watched it every night. When, When was that show? You know, I was trying to remember that, too. It's like, I can't remember if it was before we were married or after we were married. Because there was another staging of it here locally by Stageworks in, like, 2016 or something. Yeah, it was it more recent, because I, I have a best friend who was in it. I didn't get to see it. Was it was more but... recent than 2016? No, I think it was 2016. <clears throat> That's the one you were that, recalling. That I recall, but, but I Jane, didn't get to see it. Chris, your wife was in... Yeah, she did it over at the Suncoast Gay Resort. In, like, 2010. <laughs> it was either, like... No, well, I don't know if, he, if it wasn't that. Like maybe eight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Psycho- it was with Gypsy Productions. Psycho Beach Party is a straight up 1960s. No, it's not straight up. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. I apologize. It goes for gaily it forward. Up. It's very gay. Um, <laughs> Let's put it this way: it's probably going to be illegal in the state pretty soon. Well, it, I think already is illegal in the state. Everything's right? fucking illegal in the state. Yeah. Oh. All right. Psycho Beach Party is, like I said, okay, it's based on this play by Charles Bush that was an off-Broadway play. Charles Bush was a, uh, or is a, um, an auteur playwright. I mean, he was developing a true love for old-school Hollywood. He loved these melodramatic films like Sunset Boulevard. Joan Crawford is his idol. Betty Davis are his, is his idol. And Charles Bush is a gay man who struck gold in his theater by writing a lot of kind of um, 
interesting like uh, genre style plays. Uh, camp. Va- camp mean, let's plays. just call it camp. Vampire He's Lesbians of Sodom yeah. is one of his most famous titles. Uh, die, Psych- Mommy, Die. Psycho Beach Party, Die, Mommy, Die. He hit the mainstream success when he wrote a play called The Tale of the Allergist's Wife, which might have won some Tonys. Uh, it was nominated for three. I don't know if it actually Best won. play, best... Uh, best actress. Best Linda actress. Lavin was in yeah. it. So um, it's... um He, he hit the legitimate... You know, he he did the like David Lindsay of Bear. He went from rabbit hole, or I mean, from a uh, 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 fuddy mirrors to rabbit hole. Yeah. You know, where he goes, I can write something that's not yeah. so campy. But Psycho Beach Party is the distillation of Charles Bush's aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, very much he kind of follows in the footsteps of Charles Ludlam, who was another playwright that you know kind of mined a lot of the same. Uh, you know, real estate. Um, I'm trying to think of another playwright. Nikki Silver was another one where they're just they're real kind of off the wall, super stylized. And I'm sorry, I'm using that term again, Brandon. That, yeah, but, no, yeah, but it is super stylized plays that you know kind of exist in this hyper realism. Um, All three of these movies are <laughs> hyper stylized. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't say that Death Proof is camp, but no, no, I w- Psycho Beach Party plays the camp now the thing about camp for me is it succeeds by the amount of energy that is put out onto the the screen and psycho beach party like most high camp things including the love witch has a little bit of time where it slogs where the energy kind of dwindles a little bit but it makes up for it in the way that it presents its heart on its sleeve um now i'm gonna run through how psycho beach party functions as a drive-in movie um it's it literally starts off the prologue of the film is at a drive-in it's a drive-in movie complete with a fake horror film um that uh is actually called the pizza waitress with three heads (laughs) and a group of of teenagers are watching this film uh and while they're watching this drive-in movie in their 60s cars and fashions on Malibu Beach, someone comes and slices someone's throat open in the middle of the movie, and the body is discovered. Now, which, which drive-in is this? What drive-in does the film take place in? Yeah, because it sounds like our drive-in. It's a lot like Dead City Drive-In. Yeah. The, the, the throat slashings have happened here. Yeah. <laughs> there have been a few times. The throat slicing leads us into some gratuitous ice cream licking, <laughs> um, but then jumps us straight into the mission statement of the film, which is the opening credits. The opening credits are it's a go-go dancer, a go-go dancer dancing to surf music, um, shaking her goods. She's in a bikini, right? Yeah, she's, kind of. But she's yeah. one of those fringe. It's, it's a yeah. fringe. Yeah. It's got the yeah, fringe yeah, yeah. that's just bouncing. And mm, with this kind of surf-based song. And the credit, it's, it's, it actually looks great. It's like, it's very uh, confident in its presentation. And it jumpstarts the movie. It is the mission statement. It lets you know this is what you're getting. You're watching a film equivalent of a go go dancer, <laughs> you know, strutting stuff to 60 surf music for 95 minutes. Um, but what the movie does is it's a, it's a 60s beach party movie. So you get those Gidget Goes movies. You get the Frankie and Annette movies. Also mixed with those 50s psychodramas um, where, you know, like like Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. And then also mixed with 80s slasher movies. Um, 
someone is horrifically murdering the the denizens of this Malibu beach, and we don't know who it is. It's a whodunit, um, but there is a a laundry list of suspects as to who it could be. But the things that make the movie this is a independent film. I don't know what the budget uh, of this movie is. It's got to be under a million. It's a non-union film. It feels like it. Have, what do you think? Chris? I want to say that I saw that it was yeah just under a million. It's got to be. It's got to be and like a seven fifty like a quarter of that. Well, of course it did. I mean, it didn't make any money. It's not. It's. It wasn't meant to. It wasn't meant to. I mean, it's. It, it and it's weird because Psycho Beach Party is a movie that I don't really hear ever talked about. It's kind of like a forgotten film. Even when the play comes up, it's kind of like, oh yeah, Psycho Beach Party, right? For me, it was on my radar because it was, I saw this movie, I mean, 2000, I was at my peak um, awareness of independent filmmaking. So Psycho Beach Party for me was a movie that I went, okay. Yeah, 1.5 million budget. 1.5? Weird. I, okay. That's more than I well, thought. Well, think about it, it too, at the time is that, you know, Nicholas Brendan and Thomas Gibson were on television shows that were relatively popular. You got Buffy, and you've got um, what the fuck was Criminal Minds? Yeah, something. So you've got those guys. Amy Adams hadn't really been nope. discovered yet. Lauren Ambrose was Lauren on Ambrose, Six Feet Under. Well, but I don't think that was that had come out yet. Six Feet Under hadn't premiered in two thousand. I think it did. No, because that was the year that um, that Alan Ball was pretty much collecting for American Beauty. So he mm. had maybe gotten, maybe he had maybe six gotten, he, It's probably two or three years in the future. Yeah. But anyway, the the whole thing is yeah. I'm surprised it was a 1.5. Maybe it was a union film. Maybe that's why the budget kind of went up a little bit. Yeah. But you, every dollar is on screen. Like you, it is it is full of. It's very rough around the edges. Like, it is a first-time feature filmmaker making a movie, but the play has been expanded into a narrative. So anything that you know about the play, it's like one location-based kind of a thing. This movie opens up the world a little bit more um, into a cinematic world, which is great, because there are so many plays that get adapted into film that, you're like you should you should it's, have done it's another a one pass. location yeah yeah right you guys should have it's a you film don't need you don't need to work hard yeah you it's could have opened location. that up so this movie opens up the scope and and in my opinion it 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 only improves upon the actual play itself now you get charles bush in the in the film the writer of the of the movie plays uh in drag as the detective who is on the case. Which is a total fabrication for the film. Yeah, I mean, it's not in the movie. It's not in the play. It's completely written. He played the Lauren Ambrose character. Yeah, he was Gidget. Um, so, but he's playing... Well, I'm sorry, not Gidget. Chicklet. 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 But he's playing it, you know, he Charles Bush is a delight on screen. Every time he delivers a line, he's always got this weird little... He's got this thing. He says, you kids and your problems, you think you rule the world. I'll tell you something, mister. It's like he's playing it like a Joan Crawford character. Yeah. It's incredible. Lauren Ambrose, who at this point is an undiscovered talent, plays the role of Chicklet, and she is fucking wonderful. 
She is she is quite good. She is so good in the film as this like gee whiz character who understands the tone and then shifts into these multiple personalities. And whether it's um, uh, the character of Anne uh, Bowman, who is this dominatrix or whether it's this checkout counter worker who's from the like, Safeway from the mm-hmm. Safeway who's like, bitch, who the fuck you think you is like she's nailing it she is committed on screen it's like she's been acting her entire life you know she's incredible um and you and it's coming from this perspective of true love for this era of filmmaking the dialogue is full of um you you get you get like detectives questioning women and saying and where were you last night and a and a mother saying like where every woman should be doing needlepoint you know, it's full of that kind of stuff. You're like, that's what somebody would say in a 60s movie, you know. Um, now, like The Love Witch, the aesthetic of Psycho Beach Party is spot on. And doing a rewatch for this, I was blown away. It's got the same mid-century vibe. It's <laughs> the 60s stuff, and it's everywhere. The costume designs, the textures, the colors. It is so clearly a distinct voice behind the camera who's making decisions who maybe they're not so good at knowing where to place the camera, but they understand what makes cinema work. They understand what makes uh, your eye get drawn to an image. And it has the spot on aesthetic that is incredible. We get greasy shirtless surfer boy wrestling in the movie. We get creepy tiki huts. Uh, We get interesting sub dom relationships. Um, you have rear screen projection surfing montages in this mm-hmm. movie, like how they would do these, like how in The Love Witch, every time Samantha Robinson's character is driving in her yeah. car. It's, it is that. A rear projection. Imposed. Yeah. It's projection. right in this yeah. studio, like what we're in right now, where a projection is right here and they're, you know, it would be like me putting a camera on you right now and it would be that, like, to, to capture the glamour that you can't get when wind's whipping on your face. Yeah. Um, the movie clips. It's 95 minutes. It's just nonstop going. And then you have these, like, there are some performances in this movie that are not great. Like, some people are almost horrendously miscast. Uh, yeah, I was going to say... Um... Nicholas Brendan, who was, the, he was Xander in Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, is the absolute... Worst choice for the role that he plays as Starcat, the cool, hip surfer dude. Wrong. Well, and Thomas Gibson, I thought. Was Thomas Gibson as the, as the great Kanaka, the surfing god champion of the beach. Not the best choice. Um, and was it, uh, what's the guy that's named after the fucking cheese? Mm, the gay couple. No, I disagree. Provolone? Yeah. I no. think I think those two guys are terrible. All the bo- all the all the boys are great, and there's this undercurrent of like these surfer boys who are shirtless and just love to wrestle with each other in oil, and it's and everybody's like, "What are you, what are you guys up to? What are you doing this for?" They're like, "Just because we love there. titties." <laughs> now, all right, um, I'm I'm like I'm torn because I, like I can. There are so many parallels to the movie, but the, the, the aesthetic of the movie is what, to me, draws it in. The camp value. I'm not a big fan of camp. I don't really like it. I don't... When I see it... How about you, Katie? 
I'm sorry. I, I'm talking a lot. So you're okay. Please. No, uh, I, I was actually going to interject thank with the you. camp. Jesus, because thank you. <laughs> I enjoy camp when it's very well done and purposeful. When like it's what? just like um, Batman 66. <laughs> okay, sure. Actually, Great. what I thought was Wet Hot American Summer. There's some camp in there. There's no, no, some camp Katie, in there. Just because it takes place at a camp doesn't mean that it is No, camp. but there's a self-awareness, but there is. right? There's a self-awareness to camp that can happen purposefully. The word gets thrown around. It that's, does. For me, that's the problem. So, like, and we talked about this earlier. I really, I have a problem with the wink-wink thing in comedy, especially, where people are like, don't you get it? We're telling a joke. Um, one of the things that like Wet Hot American Summer, for example, doesn't do is that. Right. They play, and it's more absurd. It's absurd. And and maybe that's what I like more about camp is the absurdity when it is played that way. Yeah. Psycho Beach Party really plays up the camp. They really, it's, it's very wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And it can be exhausting, but at the same time, it's... It's so like it's almost adorable in the in its self awareness. It's like you can it just it has this vibe of these filmmakers had a very limited budget. They got together and they were like, let's just make this thing based on this weird play that is unique on its own. Uh, this weird psychodrama beach party movie, and let's just do the best we can. And that's it's prevalent the whole movie and. It slogs. It's aware of itself. It's aware, and it's not always successful, and it's, it, it you know, but, again, it's hard. If you were to ask us, and I think, Chris, you would agree with me on this, where we judge whether or not a movie is good typically tends to be on not... Whether or not it's good, no, well, but whether or not it entertains. Well, and also, whether or not we're entertained, but also, when you can see the filmmaker's... Awareness? Statement... Is, like, is it based on if, if we can see the awareness? Yeah. When when you know that, like, the filmmaker isn't trying to pull the fucking, you know, wool over our eyes. You know, like, it, the, the cynical filmmaking of, like, a modern Marvel movie where it's just like, you're going to go see it anyway. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we do. We can do whatever. And if you don't like it, fuck off. There's another movie coming out next month. And mm-hmm. that's how you're going to deal with it. Um, this movie, you... You know that the filmmakers are just trying to do the best that they can do with their limited means. Mm-hmm. Um, Tarantino does that. Yeah, Tarantino has borderline unlimited means. That's the the biggest difference. Is he's an auteur who is granted a voice to speak, um, and Psycho Beach Party is very clearly also somebody's voice speaking. It's. But would you say that voice is specifically the purpose of camp? I think that Charles Bush as a filmmaker is a man who is, or as a as a storyteller, as a playwright, as an actor, knows what he's doing. He knows that like this is arch. This is the movie presents Charles Bush as a woman, and it's he's um it's clearly a man, and there's no the, he there is a sex scene. In this film, where he is riding, mm-hmm. homie, it's what's in the, the trailer? Name? Yeah, yeah Thomas trailer. Gibson. Thomas Gibson's. He's riding him, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, like now." Yeah, but it's a body double. There's a body double for the forth. boobs, but it's <clears throat> it's like there's not anybody who's fooled by that. Yeah, 
it, and in fact, that's one of the scenes that was cut internationally because it was too risque, because it's so queer, you know. And you're like, it's what? And the, real the, woman, fake woman, real woman, fake woman. And it's so <laughs> funny, and like, it's it's so. Um, in your face with its sexuality, the movie, like The Love Witch, is so sexually charged that it is what drives the film. And the statement on queer culture and, and, and not culture, but like living that life and being in that. Well, no, that is queer culture. Yeah. That, okay. I never know if I can say if I should well, say queer culture. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Well, that's speaking to sexuality, right? Yes. Of of your choice of sexuality. And the whole movie is about this tomboy who they keep saying the whole time, like, you don't have those two things that boys like, which are titties, trying to go, Well, maybe if I put out all these boys will like me. Well, will they respect me? Will they <laughs> respect me? Yeah. And then she is a split personality who turns into this dominatrix who's like who do I got to fuck to get a hot dog around here? That's literally a line of dialogue. It's, it's in the a line film. of dialogue in the film. And like, it's so it's about that, like the burgeoning sexuality. There are characters who are coming to terms with the fact that they are gay. One of the best things of the movie is there's a character who is constipated the whole film who keeps saying like, I haven't shit in 47 days or whatever it is. Damn, that's a long time. He, and one of the characters is like a, a an amateur psychoanalyst, and he's like, maybe there's some kind of pent up uh, feeling somewhere, um, and maybe that's what's causing this to happen. And the guy's like, gay. yeah, and he's like, whatever you say. This is the same guy who's oil wrestling his best friend. There's a scene where at the end of the movie where they kiss each other. They it's just like we have to do. They kiss, and the guy goes. He ruins the kiss and by being like. I've got a shit. And his bowels release. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh my God, I you just cured my constipation with your gay kiss. And his his newfound lover is like, go do what you need to do. I'll be right here waiting. You know, and it's like God, that's sexy. True love. It's so true it's love. so like just like the tampon in Love Love Witch, it's scaring the straights. You know what I mean? It's like like the tampon shouldn't shock anybody and yet it does gay romance shouldn't shock anybody and yet it does does. and this movie like the love which revels in its um reveal reveal and it's showing off of that kind of stuff um it's transgressions yeah it's transgressive the film is transgressive without being like uh, obnoxious about not obnoxious, but not being like unfun. Like it's not. <laughs> well, they're not really clubbing you over the head with it. They're making it, you know, dr- incredibly obvious. But at the same time, too, it's done in a fashion that's not sleazy. Right. You know, the sleaze is kind of implied in this movie. You yeah. Know, there's, there's sort of a. It, it's. It's a very clean John Waters movie is what it is. Well, that's what I've <laughs> constantly been thinking about is John Waters. Like, I'm I'm shocked that this isn't a John Waters film for Psycho Beach Party, that it is Charles Bush. And in fact, I had to actually 
but it's look just known back as repulsive. <laughs> at a at a play I did in college that I was like, I swear that was done by Charles Bush, but it wasn't. Was it? it was a Charles Me, Charles L. Me. It was Big Love. Oh, and, okay. And I thought I was like, I swear this was a Charles Bush play, but it wasn't. Psycho Beach Party is. Yes. Um, but but yeah, going back to. I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. That's With okay. thinking thinking about that play, <laughs> I was like, it was very different, and I swore that the author was was Charles Bush, and it wasn't. But it was also a play that lended to like feminine power, and and it was three sisters who were forced to marry three brothers. It was it was a weird play, um, but it's it's what made me think. Is that the one about the this. Mormons. It is not. No, Everybody I'm... thinks it is, but it is oh, not. Right. The, yeah. The Bill Paxton <laughs> I had to... show. Sorry, Jamie. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, like, about Psycho Beach Party is, and you, you know, I, I'm not an expert on queer cinema, and I don't really want to go down that path. I'm not a gay man. I, I, I don't, you know, my, my perspective is, you know, as a straight man's perspective, but I, I've I've seen subversive cinema, subversive queer cinema that wants to make its point known. Mm-hmm. Fine, great, but Psycho Beach Party and like you were saying, it's not as interested in making a statement as it is in being a crowd pleaser mm-hmm. and doing the best it can to go. I think it lends to just being itself and i think that's the message well, of psycho beach party you're right the Katie. same kind of story that its source material tells but it's just doing it with you know either gay characters or drag queens can we say that word anymore um How you know dare you DeSantis! <laughs> <laughs> he's crying somewhere by the way Charles Bush's nose looks exactly like Samantha Robinson's nose. Ah! They both had the yeah. same nose job. I'm just yeah. throwing Amazing. that out there. But um, I, I do believe that that's the message of Psycho Beach Party. Be yourself. It really is. I mean, at the end of the, the day, of the- that's what solves the the situation. Um, uh, Lauren Ambrose's character embraces her split personality and uses it to defeat the the villain. person that the villain that's going around killing um but now i just i'm gonna quickly just touch on some of the uh the drive-in shit with this movie because it does succeed on a borderline exploitation level mm-hmm. borderline um you get uh i mean oh by the way there's a great line in this film uh that charles bush has which is and you were saying about being yourself charles bush notices that these murders are occurring and the killer is killing people who have a hair lip. The heartbreak of psoriasis. Flaws or some uh, lack of perfection. Um, one uh, testicle. And Charles Bush's character, the detective, realizes and has a line that says, someone out there has a problem with people who are different. And it's the most... And is that not where we are right now, by uh, the way? Yeah. But it's the way it is that that line is presented is so subtle in it's like, I'm just going to leave that there for you to, you know, I see what you're doing. Yeah. So, but, um, now by the way, here's some things you get a severed head spinning around on a wheelchair. (laughs) 
Um, for all you uh, bad Catholics out there, you get an Amy Adams nude scene. Um, I love Amy Adams. She's great. She's great in this movie. She plays a character named Marvel Ann, who is like the, the sex pot of the beach. I love that. I love that for Kathleen her. Robertson as uh, this character in a wheelchair, the character you're supposed to feel the most sympathy for, typically, she's who's just, just a, a total bitch. asshole. <laughs> every, every line is, she's just total twat. It's hilarious. Um, you get I feel a, like Charles Bush is making a statement with that. I think he is. <clears throat> you get a live performance by Los Straight Jackets. Yeah. Um, you get a, I'm a sucker for dancing. You get a choreographed dance-off sequence in the movie at the, mm-hmm. in the start of the third Before act. dance-off. the luau. And the luau. Choreographed dance-off. How can you... Okay. And it's great. Yeah. How can you not have a dance-off at a luau? You like, have to. That's have the to. rule. Yeah. Don't have a luau if you're not going to have a dance-off. If you're not going to have a dance-off. Yeah, it's been a long time ago. It was basically engraven on the banana leaves. And yes. You, you have to follow the sacred required. banana leaves. Um, you get a luau it. hypnotism. You get in a flashback, I'm not going to delve into it, but a swing set child murder. <laughs> so core memory. And then you get a drive-in stock and slash climax that feels a lot like an homage to Brian De Palma's blowout. <laughs> By the way, the studio made a mistake when they marketed blowout as Brian De Palma's blowout. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Chris, it's like it's like they were like Brian De Palma ate some tacos, and they're like, you know what, Brian De Palma could do no wrong. <laughs> Brian De Palma's blowout. Um, you know, my movie actually features uh, some of the music from Blowout. <laughs> oh yeah, the the uh, uh, Ennio Morricone shit, right? Okay, then you have, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, and I had forgotten about it. A great mean spirited ending. Ooh. It's got a mean-spirited ending that just when you start to go, are you fucking kidding me? Another character pulls that shit and goes, are you fucking kidding me? Only I mean, for it to resolve itself in I will a admit, dumb Friday I do, the 13th way. I do love that surprise in a film or a show where it's the unpredictable ending of another character coming out and going, what the what the fuck? Psycho this Beach is... Party ends like that. Well, it, okay. unpredictable, but predictable, right? It's In a way, it is, time. but yeah. it's also like there's, this didn't happen on stage. Yeah, no. And okay. they, and there's something, <laughs> Love Witch is a, has a very mean-spirited ending, too. It does. It I mean, very it, much does. It's, it's borderline Wicker Man, but <laughs> <Yes>. like <laughs> the last five minutes of the Actually, love Witch. all of these movies have a pretty mean-spirited ending you're right and they both i end, love a mean-spirited and ending. both of them all three of them end um on like an offbeat yeah like the last frame of a film is could tell you you know that's the punction punctuation mark you can choose to leave a, an ellipse uh a period an exclamation mark uh a comma Whatever you want, all three of these movies, or a severed head, or a severed head. All three of these movies have a have uh, an offbeat ending where, you, like, the last cut to black is enough to go, Jesus. Um. So anyway, that's where I'm at with Psycho Beach Party. And by the way, go go dancing and credits as well yes. to just kind of tie it all together. Um. And just nonstop surf music, and it's it's just a lot of fun. And I. It's one of those things that it's a movie that I discovered on video years later, and I wish I could I could see it with an audience because I'll bet you it fucking plays 
like gangbusters with an audience. This I, definitely I, sounds like it would be a midnight movie somewhere. It would have to be. Yeah. It would have to be. I mean, that's where it functions best. Is this considered a cult film? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's also ripe for rediscovery. Like I said, there was a time where this was on my radar, but that's when I was kind of focused on these very low-budget independent films that were um, proliferating the early aughts. And now, I, I mean, I really don't hear anybody talk about this movie. The director, Robert Lee King, has not done anything. Hmm. And it's, maybe not to Chris, but it's kind of shocking to me that he never parlayed this film. Charles Bush did. They made a feature out of Die, Mommy, Die. Um, and he's Yeah, but Charles Bush had a, a, a lot of clout based upon his theatrical works and everything yeah so that was something that was ripe for adaptation and of course he he gets a tony you know for this particular movie in and of itself really did not do well no i mean it was not even a to say it's a bomb would insinuate that it was released on a large scale the thing about this movie is it was released with um an almost like anti-queer sentiment like i remember when the movie came out reading about how gay it is and how shocking it is, and how in your fit. And then I remember when I saw the movie, I was like, "What? This is really." There's no statement on that in no, the film. Like, there's this is it's know, really maybe they were trying to kind of court controversy, you know, trying to have you know drum up some publicity for the, this and everything. Maybe. And is it because there's drag it, in the film? It's like, uh, I, like, it's just because I, I don't know. I mean, the movie was marketed as an unrated film. I don't want to know? sound like you know, uh, you know. That I'm trying to kind of court controversy here and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I don't want to be uh, possibly grooming my own child. But it's like I was watching this movie and it's like, you know, I don't think I would have any objections if my young daughter was watching this movie with me. You're right, because it's not. There's not really anything objectionable about it. OK, yes, some of the murders can be kind of grotesque, but sure, really maybe they're they're done in such a tongue-in-cheek fashion that you know there's not really any real horror behind it yeah our show is far worse than psycho beach party absolutely all right so i'm gonna end it at that psycho beach party um if you haven't seen it really seriously seek it out it's great i think katie i i think you would enjoy it i really do and i honestly not to like i can't think of a better pairing for love witch but that's where I'm going to leave it. Now, Katie, we've got three movies here. We got three movies. And it's up to you to decide. And and I'll be honest, gentlemen, I'm really struggling because both of these have a fair fight, I feel, for very different reasons. Um I I enjoy the the camp and the aesthetic of Psycho Beach Party. I enjoy that Death Proof has a uh, a more serious, I guess, tone to it, which I feel like Love Witch tries to, and Love Witch doesn't have as much camp as maybe Psycho Beach Party. Can we do a triple creature feature? <laughs> is that you know, not that is possible? A, I don't. I haven't counted how many times our guest program. Our guest is yeah. We are always the the problem is Katie is. We would love to do a triple feature, but the drive-in gods, we'll they won't roast they, our they, they won't, us, they yeah, won't let it. It's, there's not enough time it's just not on the clock they don't like for it. that. No. Speci- we are chained specifically for double features. For double like, features, so. yeah. And 
Um, as much as as my love for Kurt Kurt Russell, because I I do I adore that man. Um, give me my Kurt. I <laughs> give me my Kurt all the time. Harrison Ford. Um, I want to see some snake. I do feel like Psycho Beach Party is likely the better double feature for Love Witch, and I say that not only with the aesthetic, um, but the specific juxtaposition of the the main woman and i say that because she fights with her multiple personality yes and and whereas with the love witch she fights with she wants to be loved but she finds every man to be an absolute pussy by the Um, way that is that happens in psycho beach party too Yeah. yeah okay so so i love you chris i love you with my whole life I'm gonna go with Psycho Beach Party. Yeah, nice. Um, I I do feel like it's, I don't think it's, it's a honest, poor choice. I really don't. Honest yeah. pairing. Nice. With Love Witch. That's. Yeah. I think that's my first of the season. It might be actually. I've had a pretty good run. You have had a great run this season, Chris. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um. Okay, guys. So there you have it. We've got the Love Witch, Anna Biller's The Love Witch, and Robert Lee King and Charles Bush's Psycho Beach Party as a double feature. What the fuck are we gonna call this thing? Hmm. That's a great question. Trannies and fannies. <laughs> <laughs> I keep going with the... Um, there's a lot of sex. Out and about. The movies are campy. Sex and camp? D- I smell sex and... I smell sex and... Campy. campy. <laughs> yeah. All right. How about that? Sex and campy? Do yeah, we want to call it and campy. sex and campy? Yeah, that's it. Final Featuring decision. The Love Witch and Psycho Beach Party. Katie, you have done the drive in God's work. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. Mm-hmm. I am honored to be a guest. We are honored show. to have you here. Where can the people in the world find you? Um,. Do you want people to find you that I, listen to the I'm show? I'm a mystery. <laughs> I'm a total mystery. I'm like She's the love an witch. Enigma wrapped in a mystery. Okay. Yeah. Wrapped Good in luck, a party. Bitches, you'll never find her. <laughs> you'll you don't know where I am. But if you uh join our Patreon, <laughs> you'll we find give me. out her phone number and everything so you guys can have For it. a actually, great I time. Think, I think your number is actually written on the wall in the bathroom here at the drive. So five five five. Five five. Thank you so much, Katie, for being here. This is a, a blast. Thank you, guys. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that wraps up another episode of Dead City Drive-In. Uh, again, thank you to our guest, Katie Castanway. And once again, I am Brandon Windish. And I'm Chris Holcomb. And remember, at this drive-in, if the cars are rocking, it doesn't mean someone's fucking. They're probably getting murdered. For more Dead City Drive-In content, head over to patreon.com slash deadcitydrive to get episodes ad-free, monthly bonus episodes, and feature-length commentaries chosen by you, the Dead City Denizens. That's patreon.com slash deadcitydrive-in. Want to have words with the management? Email us at deadcitydrive-in at gmail.com. And hey, why not rate and review Dead City Drive-In on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and splatter just the right amount of slime and sleaze onto our mutant-friendly drive-in screen. Dead City Drive-In. Under 17, not admitted without parent.